Hey everybody, this is Sarah here, aka Story Shark 2005. I'm very pleased today, uh, Friday, August 7th, to be bringing you finally my interview with Brihana25, um, who wrote a piece or is writing, it is a work in progress, a piece on AO3 called A Walk in the Woods. It is an action thriller story um and it's also a kind of deep dive into the two characters that we all love best johnny lawrence and daniel larusso and what happens when the when the survival instincts kick in and they have to work together to survive so it's less of a walk in the woods and more like uh, the struggle to get out of the woods and off of this mountain alive is really what it's about. And it's not finished yet. So when it's finished, maybe we'll do another episode with her and just talk more in depth. I think I was able to ask her most of the questions that I wanted to ask. Um, as soon as we hung up, I went, fuck, I forgot to tell her how much I liked the first big fight of the story between Daniel and the villain. Um, and I guess for the purposes of this intro, I should say, spoilers ahead, if you haven't read the 10 published chapters of on AO3, the link to the story is in the show notes. So you can go ahead, go there, read the 10, ch 10 chapters, and come back here and listen to Bree talk about it. But I loved that scene. It's a scene involving Daniel and the story's villain, and we really get to see Daniel do some badass karate. And writing action and writing karate is really hard because you have to, you know, research what some of the moves are and then be able to describe what's happening. And Bree's a really visual writer, and she does a great job, especially with that fight. And it's fucking awesome. It's so cool. It makes you go, yeah, fuck yeah, Daniel, badass. Which, um, you know, Daniel's Miyagi-Do. He's not a violent guy. Um, and we don't get to see a lot of his karate in action in the show. We get a couple little scenes, but um, I hope we get something in the show kind of like that fight scene in Bree's work. So anyway, I just wanted to say that real fast. But I think I got to ask her uh, most of my other questions about her work. Um Gosh, you know what I might do on future episodes and author interviews is give you guys a heads up and a time to submit questions. That's what I should have done. That would have been really cool. We'll do that in a next interview. Uh, but we talk about a lot of things. We talk about her history and fandom um, and fandom as it is now and how she got into Cobra Kai. So anyway, I won't take up any more time. Enjoy the interview. And if you have any feedback for me, email us uh, or Drop us a message on Tumblr or on the Discord chat, however you prefer, or on Instagram. That's probably our most mainstream social media outlet. So anyway, TGIF, everybody. Enjoy. And uh, here we go.
Welcome to the fourth episode of Talking Fanfic. Uh, I'm super excited because we have Brianna25 here, who you guys all know. I would be extremely surprised if I have any listeners who don't know who you are because it's a small fandom, which is fun. But um, obviously, Brianna is the co-host of Cobra Kai Companion, which is pretty much all of my fandom friends listen to that podcast. It's the best Cobra Kai podcast. Oh, And you. yeah, you guys do amazing work. And uh, Bree's obviously also here because she's a fan fiction author. So we're going to talk about her work, A Walk in the Woods, in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just figured we could chat for a second about the past year and fandom and how cool and crazy it's been around here. Because I feel I was trying to think when you first went down to Atlanta to see the set, because it seemed like that was the first like big thing in fandom i don't know i wasn't here in 2018 but it seemed like that happened and then pretty quick tom had left cobra kai companion and you were coming on as co-host so Mm -hmm. what's this year been like for you um insane yeah uh it um i started looking for fandom on may 5th of 2018 which was the day that my husband convinced me to watch it. Yes. And I was on Twitter and Live Journal, and I hadn't been on Live Journal in years, though. And yeah, that site. Oh my gosh, that's old school. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. No, I've, I've been doing online fandom since before Live Journal even was a thing, back when you still needed invite codes to get yeah. to that. You know, we were on GeoCities and Angel Fire. Um, but, uh, I was ta- I was on Twitter and I was trying. I'm like, let's start a fandom. And there's actually a post of me saying, we have a we have a fandom to build. You know, let's awesome. do it. We didn't get one in 1984. Let's do this. And um, there's like nobody on Twitter. And I was like, yeah. I'm the only one. And I was I was tweeting and annoying the crap I'm sure out of John Hurwitz all the time. And how just real quick how how far into the how long had the show been around before you saw it on May fifth? Three days. Okay, so you were you were early. Yes, you're right there. Yes, um, it. I I had known it was coming for several months because my son and my husband both kept telling me I needed to watch it, and I didn't want anything to do with it. And then my husband watched it. So that Friday night. And yeah. That was I wonder it. if he knew what he was doing by introducing you to the show. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. He absolutely did. Uh, because he's the one that actually, and he, he dragged me back into Stargate SG-1 um, about five, six years into it, too. Yeah. And he had seen what that had become. So, yeah, he absolutely, he knows me. And he's been putting up with pictures of Ralph Macchio on my wall our entire <laughs> marriage so, yeah he knows he knew what he was he knew he knows the other man in your rela- in your <laughs> right? marriage <laughs> right like on my bedside table you know I've got an autographed picture of Ralph that I got when I was 12 and then my husband's prom picture awesome and it's just a thing you know yeah that's cool yeah well how um what are your like earliest fan fiction memories do you remember when you started reading fan fiction uh, started reading January 28th, 1997. Oh my gosh. I love your memory for dates because I have no conception of years or dates. <laughs> that was um, the first 
time that we 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 had just bought our first computer. Mm-hmm. And I remember the day because it was a big, huge deal, right? At the time, you like had to take a loan to get a computer from Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> a Walmart was like your money lender. Yeah, well, no, no, to, 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 like a- to get the computer from Walmart. Yeah, we had to go to the bank and get a loan. Yeah. Um, because it was, oh my God, it was so small. It was like a 350 megabyte hard drive. It was the tiniest little thing and it cost us $2,400. Oh my God. Right? Um, so I had been writing fan fiction since I was nine or 10. Had no concept that that's what it was called. Yeah absolutely no clue that anyone else on the planet did this. I thought it was just me. I'm like, no one else writes stories and (laughs) freaking Star Trek novels and stuff like this, right? Yeah. No one else does this. It's just my thing. And um, when I got online that day, I I went to a Star Wars chat room. It was the first place I went. And someone who ended up being my very, very best friend uh, for a whole lot of years was like, oh, you need to look up fan fiction. And I did. So. That's awesome. That was it. Yeah. So you didn't really do like the fanzine. I guess that was more like, that was probably more like 70s maybe. When they were, have you heard of those when they basically had a published? Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Um, And once I got online, I actually got involved with uh with fanzines i've got a couple good friends who are publishers oh wow and i've been published um in what three or four stargate ones and um at least one supernatural maybe two i can't remember if the two things i put in were in the same one or not oh i didn't even know they were still doing fanzines kind of in modern fandom because i i had just heard of them through the star trek fandom Right. I got real big. I had always watched Star Trek as a Star Trek Voyager, especially in Next Generation as a kid. And then I got really big into it in 2009 when the reboot came out. And then I learned about like KS, you know, Kirk Spock slash. And I learned about the fanzines, but I didn't know like Supernatural had one or they were still circulating them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's super cool. Yeah, Ashton Press was active until at least five years ago. I haven't I haven't talked to Annie and Leah in a couple of years, but um, up through like 2014, 2015, they were still publishing. And wow. I'm pretty sure you can still buy my Stargate novel or yeah, my, my, my Stargate novel. I'm pretty sure you could still buy it from them. I don't know why you'd want to. Were, were you still using your uh, your current username back then or did you like have other pseudonyms? Uh, Brianna 25 has been my username since January 28th of 1997, with the exception of, uh, February 3rd of 1999, because, um, for that day I was briefly Brianna 26. Oh. And then I was like, no, because no one knows who the hell I am. So I went back to 25. I haven't been 25 in a long time. Yeah. So did you, was that your age at the time? Is that why you picked that number? Yes. That's so funny. Because when I, I always joke that my username, StoryShark2005, is like the dumbest name. I don't even know why I picked it, but I picked 2005 because that was the year I made it. And then I realized that most people, when they put dates in their usernames, mean that it's like their birth year. So I feel like a lot of people think I'm like a 15 year old 
author <laughs> i don't oh. know <laughs> um when when i when i logged on that first time we had internet through a friend of my dad's who ran a local isp dude and he was like there are three rules for signing on the internet never tell anyone your real name yep uh put a number in your username and never use capital letters when you talk <laughs> no caps lock screaming <laughs> right so um brie is spelled with a lowercase b at, at at all times to the point that if you see me sign i never sign with a capital b it's always oh, the lowercase b and when people use the uppercase b it's like that's not my name <laughs> that's so funny i'm gonna fix that on my notes actually right now because i have to <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to see it except you. Um, yep, and, exactly. But no, it, it just it, it was it was a thing. I mean, in 1997, the the world was a whole brand new place online. Yeah, you know, I and I still remember my freaking ICQ number. I mean, what it, what and now what is that? I actually don't know what that is. ICQ. Yeah. Um, one of the first instant messages. Um, okay. It, like you, it was one you could use if you didn't have AOL. Yeah, because I did a little bit of AOL. We we had dial up out of my family's uh, house pretty late in the game. Like I think people were already starting to do DSL and stuff when we had dial up. But I do because we used to get those mail, those AOL trial CDs mm -hmm. in the mail. Yeah, if you yep. remember those. Um, so we would do that a lot. It's just do these like instant trials for a while until we finally found some local dial-up that would go out to the country to my parents' house. But um, yeah, I did a little bit of AOL uh, instant messenger chat room. And it was a weird, it was a weird world in there, let me tell you. And I mean, I don't remember how old I was when we were doing that, but I bet I was about like eight, nine, ten, you know, oh, let me go into the chess fans room. Like it was just a really weird uh, kind of eclectic, but really general bunch of chat rooms that i probably should not have been in i didn't get like harassed or anything but i remember thinking that i like probably should not be there <laughs> right and then um we had irc um which i know that uh several people several people that i know of that were on irc channels usenet um long before yahoo groups even were a thing we were on mm. you know the news groups and things like it, it we were spread out all over the place, but we always somehow knew how to find each other. Yeah. It was pretty and was, awesome. And the fan fiction community back then, was that like LiveJournal and GeoCities and stuff? Or what was that like? Um, at the time, mostly on uh, Usenet and um, the, the news groups and things like that, because you would email each other all day long. Oh, yeah. Uh, so like the conversations that we had on LiveJournal, the conversations that we have now on Twum on Twumblr, Tumblr and Twitter, <laughs> um, we emailed each other constantly. That's so crazy. It was it was awesome because I'm on like yeah. all these. Um, I, I administrated the uh, ER fan fiction archive. Oh um, yeah. So I was I was the head of that one. I was one of the admins on the A team storyboard. Um and it was just it, uh, thousands of emails every day and I would read every single one of them. That's so crazy. Did you have to like I'm trying to remember so if you were like 25 back then, did you have to like 
do your emailing before work and then come home and like check everything? Or do you remember like what that was like? At the time, I was a stay-at-home mother. I had yeah. four kids, uh, four young kids. So um, the kids had their their little play area and their toys and everything were all over my office. So I yeah. was always at the computer unless I was feeding the kids or, you know, sleeping or whatever. It yeah. was really convenient for fandom to be a yeah. stay-at-home mom. And to have kids that didn't need your attention twenty four seven. So yeah, were were they at that age that were they? Had, I guess they weren't. You know, little tiny ones, so you could kind of let them run around a little bit. And well, in ninety seven, um, Nerd Boy was four, and I was not yet pregnant with Mister Universe, so mm-hmm. I just had the one, and then he started school. So I had, you know, like a year and a half to myself. Yeah, that's awesome. I bet that was pretty nice. Like when your first goes to school and you're like, oh, my life has changed. Right. And then I turn around and decide to get pregnant with the second one. I don't yeah. even know what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I I always wonder about like if I ever have kids, how I'm going to balance fandom, if I'm still going to be able to ride or like right now I have a – a remote work job. So I'm mm-hmm. on my computer anyway. Um, so I just try and get my work done as fast as possible so I can like read and write fan fiction. I do the same. Yeah. But I, I know that there's a lot of, a lot of our writers are mothers and I just wonder like, um, I can't even imagine how your time management skills have to improve in order to do any writing at all. Once you have Kids, not to mention keeping up your relationship with your significant other. And I mean, I have enough trouble with that with my boyfriend. Like, I have to really be aware of like how much I'm on my computer and if I've said much to him that day. Right. <laughs> you know, like, crap, maybe I should like unplug a little bit and live in the real world for a while. So it's like, you know, balance is nobody's thing here, unlike right. Daniel. Well, I, 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 I don't know if it's obvious about me or not, but I'm kind of a night owl. I don't sleep oh, yeah. much. Um, and like I would do fandom stuff during the day, you know, when I got time around the kids. Um, I could not imagine doing it without a school year. I, yeah. I, with the current situation, I don't know what I would have done. Probably would have gone as insane as I am currently going because I don't have the time that I want to pay attention to it. Yeah. Um, and then evenings would be for the kids and the husband and and all of that when he got home from work and when they got home from school. And then we'd watch a movie or, you know, do whatever. Uh, he'd go to bed. The kids would go to bed. And I would go back to my office and I'd stay there till three or four in the morning. Yeah. Uh, writing or vidding or doing whatever and then get up at 630 and start all over again. Oh, my gosh. That's... Yeah. That's like uh, – that's dedication there. But, you know, it's like when you're doing something you love, you just – you have to get it in. Like if I'm not writing or doing something these days, especially with Cobra Kai, then I just feel kind of anxious and like ah, I need to get back in there, you know. It eats at me. Yeah. Um, which is – every now and then I'll like – like the the banner that I put out yesterday, that took me like three hours to make. So That's not- awesome, by the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, is, that not, the, is that the yin-yang one where they're like upside down and one's oh, no, kind of darkness one, and light? Oh, that's a different – maybe I haven't seen the one you did yesterday then. 
that one, the upside down ones, I where loved Daniel looks freaking evil upside yeah. down. <laughs> but that um, ass, yeah, he does look it, evil upside he down. He really does. <laughs> um, that one took like 74 hours. That one wow. took a long time. Uh, yesterday was just a pro. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, the one I put out yesterday was just a generic like Netflix. Oh yeah, okay, okay, yep. I did see that one. That was cool. It's fun now just to see. I mean, I always joke that you're doing, and it's not really a joke, <laughs> but you're kind of doing the marketing for the show because obviously we're in this weird period where Netflix is taking it on and YouTube is taking it off, and it's like everyone and no one's job. I, I, don't, I don't even know what's going on, but nobody's doing marketing at the moment. Hopefully, we'll get some soon since we know it's going to be coming out August 28th. But it's really fun just to see our characters that we love so much with a Netflix logo, you know, right. below. And you're like, ah, oh, this is so awesome. Yes, yes. And it gives me much joy to put that Netflix on there. That's something that I generally yeah. don't do is put <clears> – <throat> because – what I do is an exercise in copyright infringement anyway. Right. <laughs> so uh, when you mess around with putting the logos and stuff on there, it's like a super, super fine line to walk. And it's one that I normally do not cross. Yeah. But for some reason for this one, I want to. Yeah. And I feel like the... I don't know. I feel like that maybe the creators can't say. I mean, they've expressed appreciation to, I think, all the content creators and you and, and Peter and stuff. But I just feel like they must go home and, and be pretty grateful that the fandom's done the legwork to keep things fun and exciting and putting out content like that, you know, because their just hands are tied and they don't have a marketing team to do it. And so I feel like in a less connected fandom, things could have gone quiet and kind of died off. But I feel like this fandom and its content creators worked really hard to just, you know, keep people excited and keep people going when we had no news and we didn't know what was going on. We hadn't heard, you right. know, about Netflix. And I think Martin COVID slipped a little bit in a panel and said something about, oh, but it was almost like a Trumpian style. Like, it was I don't inter- know, there's yep. people asking, there's people talking. Well, many platforms want you. Like, it was so right. funny. And I was like, Marty's not supposed to say that. I'm pretty sure. I haven't decided whether he, Martin Cove is a uh, leaky faucet that they cannot <laughs> get stopped. Right. Or... Every now and then, everybody goes up and turns him on and then turns him right back off real quick to release the pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe it's a combination of both, you know? Um, It's like, oh, well, we'll have Marty do this because he would do it anyway. Yeah, and they can kind of write it off like, oh, he's an old guy. He just probably forgot about the gag order or whatever is going on. Like they can leak it to Marty and kind of know that it'll... (laughs) It'll get out one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. Um, But then you have things like, um, I forget which, maybe um, Awesome Con last year, um, and Jesse was filming and and live streaming, Instagramming Uh uh, the panel 
And it's, um, I, I just, I, I, I laughed so, so hard at the time because Jesse's yeah. filming and Marty's on stage talking and what you hear real faint in the background is shut up, dad, shut up, dad, shut up, dad. <laughs> really? Over and oh. over again. <laughs> oh my so, gosh. I'm like, oh my God. Um, yeah. That's so. so cool. I love Marco. I feel like, I mean, I would love to meet any of the cast. And in my mind, I can't, I couldn't decide between meeting Billy and Ralph, but in a way, I would almost like to meet Martin Cove more because he's just, he seems so delightful. He and is. like kind of your, your like silly uncle, grandpa figure that would, you could, like, I think I was chatting with Amy, uh, cutesy name here. Um, and she had met Marty and I asked her, I was like, is he as delightful as he seems? And she said, Yes. And she said, you can just kind of get him started, like mention yep. a topic and he'll just go. Yeah. Which Were is really in, generous, uh, you know. Yeah. Have you uh, met, have you been to conventions for any other fandoms? Like, have you ever met Jim Beaver? No, I'm, unfortunately, I've never been to a convention. So I was hoping to go to Planet Comic Con, obviously, this year right. before all the COVID started. Um, but no, Jim Beaver, uh, yeah, from Supernatural, who plays Bobby, right? Yes. Yes, he's um, wonderful. Martin, he's 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 like they're not exactly alike, mm-hmm. but when it comes to these are my fans, I'm talking to them, and I will stop when I'm done. Yeah, um, that's Marty. That was that's Jim Beaver. Uh, that was uh, Don S. Davis uh, from um, Stargate SG One. It's like every fandom has one actor that just will not stop talking. Oh, yeah. Um, and no matter how much their handler tells them they need to stop talking. Yeah. They're and not going to the- stop till they're done. Yes. Oh, and I, it's, it's really generous of them, but I, it's probably just their personality maybe. And I love that Marty almost seems to go into character quite a bit and sort of talk to fans almost it, like he'll just slip into, um, when you enemy on the street and you show them no, I can't remember the lines, but. It seems um, like he does that so much in his videos, and he just really enjoys the fandom and people's attitudes toward Crease. In person, he gives off the zenest, most peaceful, positive Aww. vibe yeah. I have ever felt. <laughs> and it's just like, how are you him? <laughs> yeah, he does. You're, yeah, I shouldn't say that but, he goes like into Crease character, but because he, oh, no, he does seem genuinely so sweet. Yes, but we, but he's also very, very good at channel increase. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. Nobody, I mean, nobody could do that character. We're so lucky to have him in the, in the, in the franchise. Yes, very much so. And then uh, Ralph and Billy are just phenomenal human beings. That's yeah, just- how is, I mean, I know that you've gone to conventions and probably, you know, gotten autographs and chatted with them, but how was it on the Cobra Kai Companion Live stream. I mean, I was pretty sure. Did you – were you like 90% sure that you, they were going to come on? Or did you know or did you not know? We were told that someone might. Okay. And as the day went on, one of the two liked the post telling us that one of them might. Oh, I didn't know that. So, um, went into it fairly certain that Ralph would be there for a couple of minutes. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I remember the tweet. I think um, it was like Peter and announced that they were going to do a live stream. And then I th- I guess John Hurwitz had some post and he said they might have some guests. You never and then know he did who a, might show yeah, up. And yeah, and I was like, he wouldn't tease that for anybody except Ralph and Billy. I feel like it's not like he's going to say that, you know, and, and have on. I mean, Peter's interviewed pretty much the rest of the cast. I mean, maybe like Mary or Sholo, but I feel like it was big enough and kind of sly enough. And I was like, my first thought was like, holy shit, Bree's going to get to talk to Ralph and Billy tonight. And I was like not missing that live stream for anything. I was 100%. Maybe I was like 90%. But I was like, holy fuck, Ralph and Billy are definitely coming on. So it was so exciting for us to, I feel like, be excited for you and Peter, obviously. Like I, I, I was, I, I was fairly comfortable thinking that we were going to get a few minutes with Ralph. Yeah. Um, also, when the when the slight heads up was given, hey, this might happen. Particular attention was paid to me, and hey, Bree, do right. you think you can handle this? <laughs> right, which just says something. I mean, it's like, oh, I wonder who they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't yeah, he wouldn't do that for Billy. Right. Oh um, yeah, wouldn't that be wouldn't have that I mean it wouldn't have been disappointing cuz it's Billy Zapka, but I was like there's no way that this means anything other than at least Ralph is coming cuz Yeah. Yeah. Which is also kind of sad because that means that all of these people are very very aware <laughs> of this massive freaking crush I have on this man. Yeah. Um, but I haven't exactly been shy about it either. You haven't. And, and I thought you were just super cool. On, <laughs> I mean, I was kind of nervous for you. And I was like, if I were her, I would be like, bleh, bleh, you know, I would just like lose my shit a little bit. And you kept your cool. So I think you can oh, feel I really good not. about it. Yes, you did. <laughs> the thing about the posters was like the dumbest thing that's ever come out of my mouth. Oh, no. I don't think so. Why? 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 I go I back know. and I it's... listen to that whole thing and I'm like, oh my god, why? Why, why am I this person? I don't want to be this person. <laughs> yeah, well, it's always hard to listen to yourself. I guess I haven't gone back and listened to it, but at the time I remember thinking, wow, you know, Bree's keeping it together here, man. <laughs> when he raised his hand, I screamed. I really did. I, I was like, <laughs> And I covered my mouth because I was screaming into the microphone. I need to go back and listen. <laughs> um, you can hear me when they're when they're logging on. You can hear me like <gasps> because yeah. I, I saw Ralph before you guys did because I was you know you were slightly oh, yeah. delayed. So yeah. I was like, <gasps> and then I turned the <laughs> microphone off. But it, it, I'm glad they gave us the heads up. Yeah, no shit. If that would have been cold, I mean. It would have been, oh, fuck no. And I'd have right. hung up and that would have been the end of it. I know. Oh, Bree's gone. Where did Bree nope. go? Did her internet? Nope, nope, <laughs> nope. Nope and out of this. I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, you really need a whole day to like <laughs> mentally prepare right. for that. Uh, I was just very happy that he didn't put his glasses on that night. That would have killed me. Oh, I'd have been dead. I know. <laughs> he had the little gray going on, which was cute. Mm. <laughs> that was a great that was just a great i guess i'm mixing up some of this with galaxy the virtual galaxy con because that's when billy put on the jacket which yes flustered some fans did have his glasses on yes he did but um you guys did a great job with that i just felt like peter as well i mean peter's just he's good peter was peter was smooth like smooth if if you if you know him really well you can see him kind of tense up in the chair yes and then he's just like, 
okay, I'm a professional and I'm going to interview these people. And here's the thing, right? I am or was a professional journalist. I was a radio DJ for years. <gasps> I, I have a degree in journalism. <laughs> and I should be able to do this as well, right? I yeah. mean, I've 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 interviewed big names. I've I worked for actors like like Misha Collins was my boss for 2 <gasps> years. That's right. I forgot I, about that. I shouldn't have an issue. But I don't know. Yeah, well, when it's been like, I mean, famous people are one thing. And then when you kind of, I mean, all of us have that actor that we, you know, we just feel like we would die if we met or you kind of, you know, idolize them a little bit, you know, against your will. Like you try and, you know, be a normal person. But like there's something about some of these characters that mean so much to us. That, um, yeah, it's right. just different. It's just- and there's this like 35, 36 year long history with yeah. this person who doesn't even know I exist. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like an awkward position. He does position. though, which is cool now. Yeah. Uh, now they, for- they, they, they forget me the second I stop talking. I have uh, no doubt of that. I doubt that. But they, you know, they certainly have lives and stuff, but, um, yeah, that was, that was just really fun for all of us to watch you and Peter get, cause you guys have worked so hard. And it felt like kind of a payoff and a big moment for Cobra Kai Companion that I remember just thinking like, fuck yeah, Cobra Kai Companion, you know, it's the best in my opinion and in many people's opinions. It's kind of the flagship podcast of the fandom and it treats all of the actors with respect. And, you know, it's like it's the one that the creators kind of choose to connect with the fandom through. Mm -hmm. So anyway, you guys should feel real proud of yourselves. All credit for that goes to Peter. He is. I, I, he built it. Is he? So I've talked to Peter uh, just a few times on the phone and stuff, just asking him for tips and stuff about podcasting. Um, is, is he the best? Is he just, is he basically the best is my yes. question. Yes. <laughs> yes. He's so all awesome. The imp- all the impressions that you get from him, like talking or, or, or tweeting at him or, or whatever, um, 100% him. He is the best everything. Yeah. And he's amazing to me because obviously he does so much. So he's working full time uh, as a mail carrier. He's running this Facebook group. He does the podcast. Not only this podcast, he has like, I mean, I don't know how many, but he has like 10 podcasts in my mind. He has several adorable children that he yes. has to rear. He has uh, a marriage that he's maintained for, I don't know how many years he's been married, but so he's a dedicated husband and father, and he's about to have a baby uh, coming up here in so many months. And uh, so I just don't understand how he, we were talking about sort of balancing personal life and stuff earlier, but I don't know how he does it. And when you get on the phone with him, he, I guess the podcast, Peter is like very kind of like, um, calm and um stoic I, I don't know if i'd say stoic but he just sounds very cool but you get peter on the phone and i feel like he was talking 10 miles a minute and just super excited for this podcast and talking to me and he's just like really bubbly and he just loves talking to people so yes. anyway that's all to say that he does so much and i'm uh we're just lucky to have him in the fandom absolutely 
Yeah. I, I could not. We would not have the fandom that we have if not for Peter. Yeah. Wasn't there a I joke about that. him like walking into any room and making like 10 best friends? Um, I don't know if there is, but if not, there should be because yeah. that's absolutely him. I think Amy had said something on somewhere on the Facebook group that was like, you know, you son of a bitch. You just like, you <laughs> right. make friends so easy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I I, I have like social anxiety and and i amy has uh, i you know she's on like a she's like a different person in person yeah. than online you know yeah. like everyone is um for so sure we're a little bit more reserved and we stay back until we know who you are and then me even if i do know who you are i'm still gonna be hiding behind the plant yeah peter is just like um those little kids that at three, four years old stood on the street corner in front of their house telling everyone who walked by, hi, my name's Peter. Hi, my yeah. name's Peter. That was him. <laughs> and that's still him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. He's still that super excited, friendly little kid, you know? Well, you'd have to be to, like, call up, you know, Sean Kanan and um, Vanessa Rubia. You know, all these people, like, mm-hmm. that he just sounds so natural and great on on those interviews and – that's what that was the like the basis of the foundation of that podcast, um, and it you know still is. It seems like it all sort of centers around the interview, but it grew yeah. into more than that. But those interviews were so great, and it was um, you know I don't know. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he is. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, let's see. We're forty minutes in. We can turn to the fan fiction. I right. Think. I think we haven't talked about um, any fan fiction yet. I know. But. I'm going to call this like workshop slash interview because I knew going and I was like, I can't just start out cold on the fan fiction because there's a ton that I want to talk to Brie about. So Peter's not the only one that likes on. to talk. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I. It's funny because I, um, I won't go into this too much, but I started out as like when I was little, I was like painfully shy along with my twin sister and like we didn't talk to anybody else except our parent like I would hide behind my mom and I wasn't a people person probably until college or I got a I got a job working in a bike shop after high school and I just was forced to talk to people so anyway I discovered I was a people person and I like talking so yeah uh, I so was I was the opposite I was a performer oh man childhood yeah. I was I was an actor I was a musician I was a singer um you know, I would anything to be on stage in front of people, entertaining people. I was a theater major in college originally and a music minor, music performance minor. Um, and then, you know, like I said, with the DJ and the being the, the reporter and all of this stuff. And as I've gotten older, the anxiety has just gotten so and so bad. It's like if you yeah. put a microphone in front of me and let me hide behind a cartoon. Yeah, I will talk to you all day. Yeah. But if you expect me to look you in the eye, I'm just going to sit there and blink at you. Yeah. I wonder if any of that is like – I feel in my mental conception of what having kids is like, I feel like it's probably like digging your heart out of your chest and throwing it on the ground and just hoping it's going to be okay. Like I can't yeah. imagine like having kids and how that changes you and we, that doesn't need to go be a whole tangent, but um, I wonder if that – you know, I don't know. It just I would think I would become a very fearful person having kids just because you're just trying to protect them and keep them safe and healthy. And um, that actually makes a whole lot of sense because I don't put pictures of my kids on the Internet. 
Yeah, and the um, internet's a crazy place, so don't I don't blame use you. their real names. Yeah. They're all adults. My children are all adults, and I still call them Nerd Boy, Mr. Universe, Debo, yeah. Mojo, and the Princess. I mean, uh, I, I don't even use their names. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's probably the safest. I mean, nowadays, parents are like starting Instagrams for their babies. It's like pretty fucked up, in my opinion. <laughs> no, and the only people who've ever seen my granddaughter are Peter and Amy and Carrie. Yeah. Oh, well, those are the those are the ones you want to see because those are your best friends. So Right. Well, and Karen, too. So, but, Karen. Yeah. Do I know um, Karen? Half a shot. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Half cool. a shot. Not Kathleen Turner on Twitter. Yeah, nice. Okay, I, I'll have to. Uh, is she involved in the Cobra Kai fandom at all, or other yeah. fandom? Okay, oh, I don't yeah. know why I haven't encountered her. I'll have to look her up. Oh yeah, she's she's not on Tumblr very often, but she's half a shot over there, and she's not Kathleen Turner on Twitter. Okay, cool, cool. I'll have to look her up. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, let's talk about um, a walk in the woods. If that's cool, we'll turn that. that... That's cool. That's why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you remember when you first started writing this? Like, what? Why you started writing it, or what? What the conception was? What you wanted out of it? Kind of thing. Ah, uh, uh, started writing in June of 2018. Yep. I believe it was either late May or early June. Um, that I started writing it and it was right after Carrie, right after switch, um, eight mm-hmm. um, had watched it cause I'd been trying for weeks and weeks and weeks to get her to watch it in the first place. And I'm yeah, like, cause you need someone to nerd out with. Right. Right. And she betrayed me. Right. She was supposed to be a Daniel girl. <gasps> oh, that bitch. <laughs> and, right. And then because it's like, look, you know, we've got we've got this thing because I had her talk me through Tumblr and all this stuff because I'd never been on there. Like I yeah. said, there was nobody on Twitter and I got hooked up with everybody over there with Impy and mm-hmm. um, and um, Elena, who was who was there at the she's still there, but she's not as, as active. She's gone off into another fandom and mm-hmm. and the Amy's and, you know, everybody over there. And um then she came in and I was like, Okay, look, I'm gonna write a story. And she's like, Okay. And I was like, It's gonna be short. And she said, No, it won't. <laughs> yeah, she's right. Okay. Uh what started it? Honest to God, just Thought popped into my head one day, sitting there, minding my own freaking business, uh, right? As it always happens. What would Johnny do if Daniel got stabbed? Mm. And literally, that's where it started. Yep. Whole thing. And yeah. uh, I, I guess it, it's no longer a spoiler since that chapter has been out for like two years now, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I guess I should say for people listening to this, um, we will have, I'm, I mean, I think inevitably we'll have spoilers because we're going to talk about plot and, you know, all the stuff we want to dig into. So, um, yeah, but, you know, the, the, the 14 of you that are reading this story already, <laughs> you know, know what happens anyway. So, yeah. And I mean, it is nice, though, that uh, in a way that this is still a work in progress because I feel like it's worked up. And I kind of like plotted out what I thought was the structure. So I feel like we've gone through maybe like three-ish acts and it, it basically everything but kind of the final like like falling resolutions and stuff like that. So um so we don't know the ending, so we won't we won't spoil the ending. So Right. We're almost to 
resolution. Yes. Um, but there's there's one last big, you know, there's one last big conflict to come up. Yes. That, that, that has to happen still. But we're yes, almost which, there. Which I'm excited for. Um, definitely, because I've, uh, and we won't talk about it, but I've seen a little bit of chapters 11 and 12, and I'm I'm stoked for it, because it takes a really, I think, interesting turn and really gets to the meat of what's interesting. Because I think in all of these fics, like, you have kind of a, a plot going on, which is interesting and entertaining, and it's like an action plot, but you have the real internal stuff, which, depending on what you're interested in, um, that's what I like, is really the kind of i don't know deep character turnings like what is what are these external circumstances doing to these characters and what's really going on and i feel like it gets to the heart of that and from what i've seen in chapters 11 and 12 so well done that's, i like that that's that's hopefully where i wanted to take it yeah because yeah. that's that's what that's kind of my thing like um if you want to boil it down to what do i write most often 99% of the time is hurt comfort, which is, you know, I'm, I'm a whomper. I have no illusions about that. I don't apologize for it whatsoever. I beat the crap out of my characters, but I do it as a way of exploring who these characters are at their core. Yes. And how they react in these super, super extreme situations. Yeah, and for people who haven't, maybe don't know Womp or Hurt Slash Comfort, these are just uh, kind of genre tags for fan fiction. And a lot of fan fiction is that. It's like, there was actually a post on Tumblr where I think Bitka had shared it, but it was like um, this post from this daughter who was writing fan fiction and she said her father walks in who is also an author and he asks her asks her what she's writing about. And she says, oh, you know, fan fiction, which I think a lot of us do. We kind of belittle or undercut what we do. And he said, no, no, I know fan fiction. That's kind of just the genre. But like, what are you writing about? And she said she kind of stopped and thought about it. And it was something like, I'm writing about what, um, you know, how we deal with and who we are in isolation. It was kind of like a sort of had to do with the sentiment of this pandemic and how it isolates us and what that, I don't know, it's something like that, exploring that. But it's like this idea of using this like womp is like just, I don't know where that word came from, but it's like exactly as you said, it's when you beat the shit out of your characters, like yep. physically, mentally, emotionally, and you you really do in this, Brie. I'm not sure I've ever <laughs> read a story that like, really really beats the shit out of its characters as much as you do in this like it's it's um like i'll i'll go through what i kind of sketched out the uh let me just pick up this folder real quick for those of you who can't see i printed off uh the story which is exciting for me because i get to flip through it make notes but it's like 37 pages of just how much is physically wrong with these four by the end oh these poor guys these poor guys (laughs) It's great, though. But, like, uh, chapters one through three are kind of your setup. It's like your act one. And then chapters four through seven from where the villain is introduced. And we'll talk about the villain because I love your Mike, Mike Barnes. Oh, but where yes. Mike Barnes is introduced all the way through the end of chapter seven um, is kind of it goes from bad to worse. 
And then chapters 8 through 10, I have marked worst to the worst, and then in parentheses, the death march. (laughs) (laughs) It's so brutal, chapters 8 through 10. And then chapters 10, that's where we've gone uh, as far as what we have read of the published fic. So then after that, we'll see what happens, and that'll be kind of your act three or four or whatever you want to call that. But um it's it gets brutal. But yeah, I think um yeah, you're you're doing that to get to deeper deeper stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah because I mean there's it, there's really not <clears throat> much that, you know, in canon we've seen these two are and and I wanted to mirror what was going on with Johnny and Daniel with Miguel and Robbie. Mm-hmm but in reverse and not quite no not even remotely as extreme yeah um because they're children but so you you you've got this situation where you know Johnny and Daniel if you were to ask them what they felt about each other before the day they headed up to that mountain you know it's like i can't stand him i hate him this that and the other um, and it's like, what can I do to get them so desperately dependent on each other by the end that they literally cannot function apart? Yes. I, well, I don't even know why that's so compelling, but it's so compelling. I don't either. I think it's like human connection, you know? Well, and plus it's a connection I think that we want them to have. We yeah. know that... Um, the impression that I get from the series, and I know that a lot of people get from the series, is if they could get past all the surface nonsense, these two are, are brothers. Yes. They are. They have been through so much of the same stuff. They are the only two who really know and understand each other because they lived the same life for, you know, so long. Yeah. Um, they have the same bad guys. They have the same ghosts in their in their closets. You yeah. know, they don't even know it yet, though. But they do. No, they don't because they have not gotten pushed into that situation where they absolutely have to. Yeah. Deal with their nonsense because there's much bigger stuff to deal with. Uh, I can't wait for season three. It's gonna. It's gonna oh, be I know. So good. It's gonna be so good. And then with with Robbie and Miguel. Um. It's, it's, you know, with, with Johnny and Daniel, obviously Daniel is the one that is in the most danger. Yeah. Um, but then with Robbie and Miguel, it's Miguel that is having the most difficulty dealing with things with his asthma and, and, and it, it giving Robbie and Miguel because their stuff is not as extremely ingrained as Johnny and Daniel's. So they're. Like exploration of it didn't have to be as deep. It could be something as simple as one 16 year old helping the other have, you know, with an asthma attack. Right. Uh, Johnny and Daniel have 35 years. Daniel's knee going out is not going to be enough. Right. Yeah. Because they can deal with that. So. Yeah. Yeah. It really does start to escalate. Like you, th- you kind of, there's like almost a tease, I think, after. I should look at it, what chapter that is. But after um, Johnny kind of resets Daniel's knee and then Daniel's like drinking a bunch of alcohol to like sort of deal with that. I think, oh, yeah, it's at the end. Sorry, I'm going to, there's going to be a lot of page turnings. Um, um, uh, and there's lots of things hanging around my microphone. But um, yeah, mind the noises. But 
um, there's this little, there's this great end to chapter, sorry, chapter seven, um, where it's almost like you get this little boost of positivity from Johnny and Daniel, where they've kind of fixed or they're sort of reset uh, Daniel's knee, I believe, and mm-hmm. um, there's this little moment where they're they're kind of starting to bond, and Johnny's like, uh, I'm never going camping with you again. It's kind of a joke, and they're laughing, and there's like a scene cut, and then there's this, maybe, a very, I'm not sure, it might be my favorite scene in the whole fic, is this first kind of look into the mind of your Mike Barnes. <laughs> Oh my god. Who is fucking crazy. He's but so good and such a compelling villain. And um oh man, I could like take a whole deep oh, sorry, there's so much noise going on here. I have this tiny desk and I have this pop filter in front of my microphone, but it's got this thing I keep bumping into and it makes noise and I keep hitting my pop filter too. So yeah. The only good. person that will probably care is uh Peter because he likes things to sound <laughs> nice. <laughs> right. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> Um, but let me see if I can flip through this just a little bit. Um, so yeah, this is at the end of chapter seven and, um, Mike has run off after stabbing Daniel. And I think we don't maybe see him for chapter six. I think, I don't know if you yeah, remember. No, he's, yeah. When, when he takes off, they think about him and Johnny especially is like really aware that he's still out there somewhere, but yes. you don't see him. Yeah. And they are aware that he's out there and they're aware of the danger, but it's, I felt like a little bit as the reader, I almost, I didn't forget about him, but the danger kind of recedes in your mind. And then you get this nice little moment with Johnny and Daniel kind of laughing and drunk. And then it's like a hard cut and you're like, ah, fuck. Right. (laughs) Mike's still out there and he's fucking crazy. And it's great because it's just, it's like a, I don't know how many words it is, but it's not that long. And um, you really start to dive deep into how Mike... Mike kind of internally explains how he came to um, get here. And uh, there's just like a little paragraph of him. I'll just read a little bit here. If Do you mind me reading actual no, words? Okay. No, not at all. No, that's fine. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, he's talking about um, his kind of his still, he's sort of still obsessed with the Cobra Kai dojo, which sounds kind of comical because you're like, it's just a fucking dojo. Like, but it fits right into this heightened reality of the show where um, karate and Cobra Kai, like the stakes are so high. And, you know, like a man at jokes about these warring karate dojos and it sounds silly, but in this world, it is serious business, you know? And so Mm -hmm. Mike uh, is serious about Cobra Kai and his beef with Daniel. And um, let's see, let me just read a little bit. He'd seen a lot in his 51 years. He'd done a lot. He'd watched blood be spilled, and he'd spilled it himself. He'd witnessed the rise of kings and the fall of saints. He'd been the beginning and end of more than one. Very few things surprised him, but he couldn't believe his eyes or his luck when the dark-haired man pulled up and went inside. A few minutes later, he'd come back out, gotten in his car, and taken his own sweet time leaving. He'd smiled for the first time in years. So it's like... You get so obviously you know that Mike's following. Uh, he's gone to the Cobra Kai JoJo because he's heard that Johnny's reopened it and he wants it back. And he's kind of stalking, I think Johnny at that point. But then mm-hmm. he sees Daniel, and it's like he's smiled for the first time in years. And you're like, oh my god! And you also get the sense that just there's um, 
you don't really, it's not exactly said what Mike's been up to, but you get the sense that he's either been like a mercenary soldier for hire, or he's like a hitman or killing people. Like as the reader, you don't quite know, but you also start to get this sense that Mike's pretty, um, he, he's pretty deluded and narcissistic and full of himself. You know, like a sentence of, he'd witnessed the rise of kings and the fall of saints. Like that might be true, or it might be Mike, like you're not really sure. And it doesn't really matter if it's true or not. It's just that Mike's kind of obsessive and, and crazy. Um, and and then there's this like interspersed dialogue and you're not sure quite at first, but you figure out pretty quickly that Mike's talking to Crease, And um, you learn that Crease has hired Mike to kill Daniel or get him out of the picture, um, basically. And, um, oh, let me see. I had this whole, just, there's just a bunch of stuff circled and underlined. Um, let me read this real quick part. He never lied about his hatred when asked, but very few had ever asked. He's always, he'd always held it close to his vest, kept it just beneath the surface, never let it interfere. He channeled all of it into one point of focus one memory, one defeat, one person. He'd held it where he could direct all emotions at it. He'd poured everything he'd ever felt, never felt, and never wanted to feel into it, leaving nothing else to cloud his mind, which is powerful. And it also shows that Mike's like for years and years, he's never gotten over his loss to Daniel and every other bad thing that's happened to his life, he's blaming on Daniel, which is almost like a more... Correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, I was like, oh, it's like a more extreme version of Johnny. Like the day that Daniel kicked Johnny in the face was like the first best day for maybe the next like 30 years. And even though the Johnny doesn't say it in the show, he you kind of get the sense that he's built up a lot of resentment for Daniel. But obviously Mike's taken that to like a violent psychopathic extreme. <laughs> yeah, I don't Mike, know. I yeah, no, you're, you're, you're right. Mike... Um, what I'm going for with that particular passage and then in, in combination with um, toward the end of chapter 10, when he, he, he thinks about it again. Yeah. Mike has a mental Daniel. Yes. That he has kind of kept. This is going to sound really bizarre, <clears throat> but if when you get to the point where you're reading the thoughts going on in Mike's head when he's talking to himself about this mental Daniel, it's even creepier, but yes, um, he's got this like mental Daniel that he has kept prisoner in his mind for the last 35 years. And it's like in this really, really dark hidden place in his mind, whenever he starts to feel an emotion, any emotion, good, bad, anything, he opens that door and he throws that emotion in there with Daniel. Mm -hmm. And then he slams the door again. Yeah. So he can be indifferent and, and, and ambivalent because what Mike does for a living, he cannot have emotions. Yeah, you almost, you know, and it does make you feel sorry for Mike a little bit. Yeah, that's actually part of the reason I'm having trouble getting chapter 11 written. Yeah. By the end of that, you really feel sorry for Mike. Oh, and I'm so excited for more backstory. Okay, cool. I'm I'm having a hard time reconciling this psychotic assassin <laughs> that he is yeah. with the 17-year-old kid that he was 
But yeah. So this this mental Daniel and then to have the real one right in front of him all of a sudden. Um, it like <laughs> this is going to sound so strange. Nightmare before or Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. When the Oogie Boogie Man pulls his burlap off. Yeah. And he's just the bugs and the rot and all. Ugh. That is yeah. what Daniel is in Mike's mind. So if that Daniel ever gets out of that spot in his mind, every emotion that he's been suppressing for the last 36 years is suddenly out in the wild. And he just, he can't, he can't clamp them back down again. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to think about, um, not that we know yet, but if if um, the possibility of Mike actually killing Daniel were to occur, like, what would, would that, I mean, I think Mike thinks it would solve all his problems, but um, it would not. <laughs> no, no, it would actually kill him. It would, it yeah. would actually drive him insane. It's like his mind would just explode. Yeah. Because if he, if he kills the real Daniel first, you know, he's, he's like avenged for this horrible, terrible wrong that was done to him when he was a kid. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, he's destroying the actual physical person that is this container for all of his emotions in his mind. And if that ever gets ripped open, then he's got all this other stuff to deal with. Yeah, and it's a little like just... Batman and Joker. I mean, I never got into that fandom, but that the sort of connection between hero and villain. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like Mike needs Daniel. And he's starting to kind of wake up to that. And that's that's actually what's going on at the end of chapter 10. Doesn't read like that's what's going on at the yeah. end of chapter 10. Um but he's starting to feel a little bit again, and he understands that it's Daniel being there that's letting him do that. Mm, that sounds real meaty and interesting, so I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And poor Daniel just has no clue. No. Um, <laughs> he's just trying to go the- camping. <laughs> right? He's just like, wants to I grill some hot dogs dog. with Robbie. <laughs> um, but... Um, the 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 scene that you read and and Mike's memory of like him sitting outside the dojo and then Daniel showing up that pinpoints the actual point in time when Mike starts stalking Daniel. Yeah. It's at the end of Strike First that he's sitting in the parking lot the night Daniel shows up at the dojo. Yeah, and, and count, is that the one where he encounters Johnny and Kreese cuz he's going to go tell him that Robbie is staying with them or is that a different? Oh, no, this is this is very this is the end of the second <gasps> oh, episode of oh, season right. one. Right. Their first meeting. Yes. OK. So, yep. it, 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 you know, when when Daniel kind of and walks out and then you get the jerk smirk through the window. Yes. That's the taking his own sweet time leaving because he's sitting there. You oh, know. right. I love so, that when. Uh, yeah, that I don't catch everything because then I get to catch it again <laughs> later. I don't know. That didn't make sense, but I love right. that. That's great. So there's a there's the parallel there, the reigniting of the rivalry between oh, Johnny and that. Daniel that Daniel is very aware is going on, but then you've also got in the background him completely oblivious to the fact that he's also reignited the the stuff with Mike. Oh, uh, that's great. I love parallel stuff like that, you know, and there's the idea that yeah, there's this whole season uh, and it's this is why you love fan fiction because it's like you can watch the show now 
and think like, ooh, my, you know, Mike's back there somewhere just watching, you know, there's just like this alternate season one with right. Mike stalking. Right. And then it, it, like mention him following Daniel to the country club. He's He's been to the, the cemetery. He went to yep. the, the school dance. Um, he actually watched Daniel kick Tom Cole. Yeah. Uh, so he's been there for all of this, but he's so good at what he does that Daniel has never realized it. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I've always kind of wanted a way to explain, because I it, like... I got a lot of comments when it came to Johnny and Robbie's nightmares. Right. Yeah. That's a whole yeah note I had to talk to you about. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So you start on that one because I've always wanted to explain that because it actually makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So I think one of, and I was probably one of those people commenting. So, and it's interesting that actually the this, this story from the beginning of chapter one starts out and Johnny is having a nightmare and I kind of wrote, Nightmare slash premonition because it's about um, Daniel and it's kind of vague, but it's clear that he's bleeding or in trouble. Um, and so as you read the story, you're kind of wondering what's going on. And then Robbie is also having sort of this um, nightmare. I mean, if, you know, depending on uh, how you explain it, it feels like a premonition because it's also sort of the, I don't know if it's the exact same nightmare, but it's basically Daniel bleeding and in trouble. So as the reader, you're kind of trying to figure out, um, yeah, what's going on there. Um, and then there's some like internal dialogue stuff we could talk about alongside that. But yeah, the nightmare thing I was, I was trying to figure out if there was some kind of supernatural thing going on. No. Um, neither Johnny nor Robbie have these like mental powers. Um, and if you, if you notice, um, it, it sprinkled in a couple of times, Daniel, especially thinking he's been having nightmares the last few weeks too. Yeah. Uh, the only one that hasn't mentioned anything about it because he's not having them is Miguel. Right. Do you know how, like, if something is, like, creeping up behind you, like, you know that there's something just waiting to happen, you don't know what it is, but you've got yeah. this, something's, and and you start, like, dwelling on it and feeling really weird and having nightmares and stuff like this, right? Daniel has literally been being stared at 24-7 at this point for nine months. Yeah. He can feel this. Yeah. He has no idea what it is, where it's coming from. Um, but it's set his subconscious on edge. Yeah. So, and my, my Daniel, my, you know, a fan and Daniel is prone to migraines and nightmares about Cobra Kai anyway. Yeah. So Understandably. Kinda, <laughs> right. So he just kind of chalks it all up to that. To him, it's no big deal. He's just like, oh, I've had nightmares too, but Robbie's really worry me. Yeah. Well, so Daniel's had this stalker for all these months. Who are the two people that have spent the most time with Daniel while yeah, this stalking's yeah. been going on? It's Robbie and Johnny. Yeah, so they've been and picking up on the same kind of thing. Yes, the same impressions. But the human mind and everything being the way it is, they feel the weirdness, but they also know that it's not focused on them. They can just sense that it's focused on Daniel. Yeah. So that's why he is the figure in the nightmare. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of, you know, even if I was getting a little bit of a 
a paranormal, maybe paranormal is a better word for it, kind of sense. It's like there's a, we know there's a lot in this world that we can't explain. And it's, I'm not even talking about like ghosts or anything like that, but like psychologically, the mind does a lot that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. So even if it came off to me a little bit paranormal, like it's, uh, I think it's totally explainable through like kind of psychological stuff like you're talking about. So, and it's kind of eerily, you know, it's eerie in that way because it it feels uh, kind of paranormal, even though it maybe it's got a perfectly rational explanation. But it's it's just creepy, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think it works really well in that sense. Yeah, yeah. They're not they're not psychic. I swear they're not psychic. Take note. Uh, right. It just it's just the way, like you said, the the way the mind works. Yeah. And you know, with the martial arts background and the being more attuned to your inner voices and things like that they can just kind of pick up on it and pinpoint it a little bit better yeah but they still have no idea where it's coming from yeah and especially rob you know daniel and robbie because their miyagi do is kind of really about being aware of your your mind and your body and yourself and the breathing exercises and focusing so it makes sense that especially robbie would be really impressionable in that way Right. And and Daniel even, you know, thinks to himself when Robbie wakes up from that nightmare, oh, my God, because he's, he's that this is coming right off of Daniel having blown up at him, accused yeah. him of being like Terry, thrown him away the first time. You know, all, so Daniel is feeling really, really super guilty that Robbie's having these nightmares in the first place. He's like, oh, this is happening because I threw him away. I never should have yeah. done that, you know, and yeah. Oh, he's explaining it all the way. Yeah, and Robbie's. Uh, I think you do really well with Robbie in this because Robbie's. Um, you know, the show you obviously see kind of this like bad boy exterior that he's put on, and then you quickly learn that he's just a kid where all of the adults in his life have failed him. You know, and we love. You know, Johnny is. People become Johnny girls because Johnny's uh, sympathetic and easy to love, and we all love Johnny. But from Robbie's perspective, you know, Johnny's failed him, and that's just the case. And his mother is not a – I mean, I don't know if I want to go so far as to say she's a terrible mother, but she is extremely irresponsible, at least at this point in his teenagehood. Maybe she sees him like, oh, he's old enough. I can go off and, you know, have sex with random men and do it in in this tiny apartment in front of my son. You know? She's not doing. She's not making good decisions, so she's failing him in that sense. Um, so Robbie's, I don't, you know, there's just um, poor Robbie is what right. we, we can say about. And Daniel's the first adult that's really come in in a long time, and maybe ever, and given him some structure and something to like work, you know, work towards and make goals. And um, you know, people say a lot that do martial arts that martial arts is really healthy for people that maybe haven't had structure in their life before anyway, but Mm -hmm. also just being a part of the LaRusso family is big for Robbie. Um, So yeah, I like that you went into that, that Daniel picks up on Robbie's just kind of had a tough go at it. And um, yeah, he needs Daniel and he needs the family and Robbie. Yeah. Poor boy. I know. Yeah. And there's a great part after that, too, where uh, I can't remember exactly where I have it somewhere in this notebook where uh, it's it's when Daniel, um, they're both up on the mountain. Now, all four, four of them are up on the mountain and Daniel knows that Johnny wants to talk to him. So Daniel pulls Johnny aside around the campfire 
and they start talking about what uh, Johnny's doing up there. And there's there's a couple. Sorry, there's a couple things here. I'm trying not to talk as much as you because it's an interview. Um, but just to kind of set it up, so um, uh, there's this whole discussion of Daniel says, "You know they're us, right?" And there's this great. It was one of the first times it was really I feel like painted out to me the similarities between um, Miguel and Daniel, and then Ro- or I don't know. It's I can't remember how you because you because they kind of switch. Between mm-hmm. the kind of the Daniel and Johnny figures, like initially, like Robbie is kind of Daniel maybe to start out with, and then they kind of switch. And Johnny's concern is that um, he has corrupted Miguel and ruined Miguel, and he yes. needs Daniel to save Miguel in the same way that he feels Daniel has saved Robbie. So for Johnny, there's a lot of like. Uh, self pity, and uh, he's he's really framing himself as the bad guy, um, which I think you can see in the show. That's how he, he sort of feels after season one. Um, and actually, it goes along with I I feel like one of the big themes of the work is just um, uh, what am I trying to say? Like um, saving people or the concept of saving, like Crease. Also, in that back in that scene I was talking about with Mike. Um, Chris tells Mike that he needs uh, Mike to save Johnny from yes. Daniel because he feels that Daniel's the corrupting influence. Yes. So, and I feel like Martin Cove really emphasizes that that's how Chris feels about Johnny is that he loves Johnny. And and you did a great job with that, by the way, in that Cobra Kai companion, that character piece with, of Chris, because that makes Chris all the more compelling is that he thinks he's doing the right thing for Johnny and he thinks he's doing, even when he takes the dojo from Johnny at the end. He thinks he's saving Johnny. So that's mm-hmm. really nice that you pulled that. And I feel like everybody's trying to save somebody in this story. Um, yeah. I can't remember where I was going with that. Except the mirroring of Daniel and Johnny within Robbie and Miguel. And it kind of switches, at, you know, at different points. And then the theme of saving people, I think, was really well illustrated. Yeah. And it's it's literally all about them saving themselves by saving each other. Oh. Um and not even not even realizing it, you know, that it that it's going on. Johnny starts out thinking, "Oh, well, I have to go get Daniel because I promised Robbie I would." Yeah. And if anything happens, Robbie will never talk to me again and it, it it's just, and then like his internal dialogue to himself goes, "Yeah, just Robbie." Yeah. Like, Robbie's the only one who would never forgive you if you let this happen. Oh, um, yes. And so Johnny's entire identity becomes wrapped up in saving Daniel. And yeah. Daniel has it, it, written himself off. Um, and that's not really a spoiler because, I mean, almost immediately after he realizes he's been stabbed, he starts thinking, I'm not going to make it through this. Yeah. Mm. So Daniel's entire focus is on getting Johnny off the mountain so Johnny can save the kids. Yes. Um, and then the the boys, initially the boys and then later the rest of the kids, their whole identity, Robbie and Miguel are all about getting each other through this back up to the, the you know, and, yeah. and then saving Johnny and Daniel. And it's just everybody wants to save everyone else. Yeah. And it's just, that's the way it's working out. And even... 
you know, like I said, Mike to a certain extent. Right, I was going to say, maybe except Mike, but yeah, he's, yeah. Uh-huh. M- Mike thinks he's there to save Johnny. Yeah. Um, And is also thinking that he might be able to save himself yes. by killing Daniel. Yes. It's just this, yeah, it's. It's a it's a screwed up place. Yeah. My head is a screwed up place. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, it's great. Yeah. Salvation was the word I was looking for. So salvation is a big theme. Uh, and it's kind of appropriate. I feel like it takes place on on this mountain. That's I, I think it's important that the characters are, I mean, maybe just for the danger element, but also to sort of focus the story that they're out in the middle of nowhere and they're on a mountain and they're isolated and there's no cell service. There's nobody around except these characters. So... I feel like that's kind of used, been used before in classic literature, just sort of man versus nature, but in a way, not versus nature necessarily, but it isolates them and um, maybe focuses the challenges. I don't know exactly, but. Yeah, because you, you've you got your, your classic conflicts in literature, right? You've got man versus God, man versus man, man versus nature. Well, in this one, especially with Johnny and Daniel, you have all three of those going on at the same time. Yeah. You've got the initial man versus man with Mike and them trying to, you know, get away from him and, and, and hold him off. They do. Honestly, Johnny does far more damage to himself. Oh yeah. Then, then Mike <laughs> could ever possibly do. <laughs> oh, jo- you just you say a lot of like, oh, Johnny, in this in this story. I, 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 he acts, you know, he he's just throwing a temper tantrum and ends up knocking himself unconscious, wrapping himself <laughs> around a tree, oh, almost Johnny, you know, <laughs> falling off a cliff. Yeah. Um, and then he breaks his he he breaks his hand. Um, yeah. Because he's just overwhelmed by everything that's going on um he daniel does not more damage to himself than mike did because that's not even possible but yep daniel does end up hurting himself in you know almost breaking his own arm yes um, definitely dislocating his own elbow <laughs> literal uh, cliffhanger by the way at the yes. end of that chapter yes dislocates his own elbow to save johnny yep um it, so you've got the man versus nature, man and man versus God, and you've got Johnny just uh, screaming and ranting and raving internally against this voice that keeps telling him to let Daniel die, and he won't do it. Yeah, yeah, um, and Daniel too, kind of, yeah, just struggling with the idea that I mean, I guess he's pretty set that he's going to die, so maybe it's it, less of a struggle than for Johnny. Yes, at, at especially at the end of of the last chapter that was published, Daniel is convinced he's done. It's that so he just ugh, cannot do this. The angst free. <laughs> <laughs> it's so heart wrenching to read that because I mean, honestly, I wasn't sure uh, reading this, and I'm still not totally sure. Um, I should say, but I was like, is she going to kill off Dan? I was like, Bree could never do that. But they're in so much uh, pain and distress and like real, like if you start to list off all the things that have happened to them, um, you know, if you stick to realism, which I think there's a lot of just sort of medical realism. I mean, I'm no doctor or anything, but there's a lot of like describing physically what is happening to their bodies. And you're like, oh God, like they could really 
die here. And it's very, so it's always close right there, the the threat that Daniel's just about to die. And Daniel's talking about it, and Johnny's thinking about it, and the circumstances are like dictating it. And I was like, fuck, Bree's going to kill off Daniel. So <laughs> there's, yeah, so you keep the danger right there, which is which is good for writing. It makes it uh, interesting and it's- grabs you. It's this really, like, my NSA handlers, if they ever um, Mm -hmm. decided to move in based on my internet search history. Oh, no shit. Yeah, what happened? They would honestly think I'm like Lizzie Borden over here. Mortal Um, uh, wound, uh, knife wound, or, you know, blood loss. Yeah. Oh, I I have in in the same folder where I keep the story. uh, I have all these PDFs. I, I go out and I look up case studies um, because I one of the first fandoms I wrote in was ER. Mm, yeah. And if you can't nail medical realism in ER, you are never going to succeed as yeah, a fan fiction no writer. Shit. So, That's tr- yeah. um, like down to exact times that Daniel could do certain things with the injuries that he has. Um, The exact amount of swelling that Johnny would have along his spinal cord for the injuries that he has. Yeah. Um, When certain things are going to happen to within minutes based on other people that these things have happened to. Yeah. Um, And always right on this edge. You know, yeah, bar- so. you're, you're only barely keeping them alive. <laughs> and and how the much thing damage actually, can you inflict? Yeah, the thing that actually pushes Daniel into the fuck it, I'm just gonna die right here, is actually the thing that saves his life at that particular time, because Johnny doing what he does with the peroxide. Which, if anyone is still listening to this, don't dump peroxide in an open seeping. Um, stab wound because it would really freaking hurt yeah but what it does is it makes daniel bleed and it gets all the the blood shoves all of the um pus and infection out ahead of it oh yeah okay if you the the way i worded it was it starts out with the bubbles are orange they're yellow and then they're orange and then suddenly it's just bright red blood pouring out well when it got to that point all the infection was out of the way. So that actually kept Daniel from dying. Yeah. At that moment. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, you really uh you really beat the shit out of these guys again. But it's that yeah, was I, actually Impy's idea. Oh, was it really? Oh that was. And they, yeah, yeah, we'll have her on here at some point. She's uh I call uh, maybe unfairly, I don't know, because it puts a lot of responsibility, but in the Discord chat uh, I feel like she's she's the moderator, but she's also kind of a fandom mom. She's always like if she hasn't heard from me for a few days, she'll she'll message me like, "Are you okay? You still around? How are you doing?" You know, she's just really yeah, sweet. She is. So anyway, she's great. Yeah, yeah. That's um. So yeah, that's the end of chapter ten, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And literally, chapter eleven has been written for months, except for. Fleshing out one scene involving <clears throat> Mike at 17. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for that. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Explains everything about him. Yeah. Like, and I just can't get it 
to flow. Yeah. And I don't know whether it's I don't feel sorry for Mike and I know that I need to or I'm just afraid I'm not going to be able to convey to other people that they should. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I don't know. I feel like a lot of fan fiction readers are are pretty empathetic people by nature. Like, we, you know, you just sort of care enough about fictional people (laughs) that aren't real to invest your time and energy into them. And I think all of us appreciate uh, a good villain because – I feel like in a way, I mean, I'm a big, and we'll leave all the politics of it aside, but I'm a huge uh, Harry Potter fan. Uh, mm-hmm. But I feel like one thing that that Rowling did character-wise that I wish she would have gone into was, and she actually did a, she actually did a pretty good job with it, was getting into what makes Tom Riddle Voldemort. And there's a whole, you know, because he was a little kid at some point, and so the whole journey from... Uh, nobody's born unless maybe there's like a psychopathic thing, but that's usually, you're not born with that. Something traumatic happens to you where your body kind of goes into some kind of mental defense thing. And then you're just like fucked up for life basically. (laughs) But yeah, there's usually a journey from like innocence into, you know, what we would call evil. So yeah, I'm all about, um, Mike's origin and, uh, journey into darkness. I think, I mean, I think a lot of us, I don't know. Well, I can give you a small hint because it's not like, it's not a particularly like. Yeah, whatever, whatever you feel thing. like giving out. and Yeah. Well, but I, I've, I've done so many parallels, right? Flipping things around to where Robbie and Miguel could be each other. They're reflecting each other. We've got Robbie doing the no mercy. We've got, um, you know, Miguel uh, preaching balance and focus and things like this to the kid. Yeah. And then you've got the parallel of the story between Johnny and Daniel. And then you've also got the parallel of um, of um, Johnny and Mike. Yeah. And the Daniel is trying to save Johnny. Mike is trying to save Johnny. Johnny is trying to save, you know, all of this. Yeah. So the only thing that's missing is the parallel between Mike and Daniel. Yeah. And that's what this this part that I'm missing from Mike, that's oh, what this is. Does it involve Terry Silver by chance? Terry Silver in the Walk in the Woods universe is dead. Okay. He is. Um, because you remember way back up on the tree when Johnny told Daniel that that Crease is still alive? Yeah. And he's like, God, I hope Terry's still dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Johnny has no freaking clue who he's talking about. Because yeah. Daniel hasn't told him the story yet. But Terry Silver in this universe is dead. Okay, cool, cool. That is that is true. That's not changing. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm, I am I was just fascinated by Mike. I think, uh, I mean, your Johnny and Daniel voices are great. Um, but I think your Mike voice is really strong. And one of the reasons... It, is just because villains like that are crazy and they have kind of more distinctive crazy voices. So it's a little bit easier just to maybe to write. I don't know, but I just loved how you wrote Mike. So I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big fan, even though he's an asshole, obviously he's, he's terrible, but he's Um, fun to read. It actually disturbs me sometimes um, how well Mike's voice comes out of my brain. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Except for, you know, moments like these where I've been trying for months and months, but that's also 17-year-old Mike as opposed to 51-year-old Mike. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's that issue um, where I know the adult Mike because I created him. Yeah. Uh, um, but I, I have to rely back on canon for the kid Mike a little bit more. Um, yeah, he seems kind of when you first see him in the movie, he sort of seems relatively – Normal, like you know, he's been called the bad boy of karate, and he's a badass at karate. So obviously, he's beating people up, at least in tournament karate. And he's kind of like almost so- soft spoken when he first meets Terry Silver. Although anyone meeting Terry Silver, by contrast, probably seems soft spoken because Terry is so insane. Very true. <laughs> I fucking love Terry. Anyway, um, but yeah, the, there's not a lot. Um, substantial we get we get a little bit of Mike in in the uh, in the beginning and then you just get him kind of like you're like oh wow he's really bought into this let's fuck with Daniel thing like he has no qualms he does it for money um, mm-hmm. so that's about all we know f- from Mike in the in the movies right and then um, the the longer the story goes on the more he's up on the mountain with them the more he speaks to himself yeah. in nursery rhymes. Yes. Okay. I, I wanted to actually talk just generally about the nursery rhymes and about your, your chapter summaries are awesome. They're so much fun. Oh. <laughs> There's a lot of like okay. idioms and um, just, uh, yeah, I'll, I've, I'll let you talk, but just real quick for just a reading. Oh, just that, that I, I'm not quite sure. Like I, I wrote an NCIS story. Yeah. Um, where I did this kind of stuff to uh, poor Tony. And the bad guy in that one did a modified version of Pop Goes the Weasel. Ah. And then with this one, with Mike, the focus from the very beginning was, Daniel, let's play a game. Games. Absolutely. I underlined that a few times. And then it, it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper darker and like yeah further and further back into childhood the more he goes yeah yeah okay and is that going to be kind of dug into in uh the next chapters or is that kind of i mean you do get i guess some of that in um or just sort of implied that in some of these chapters already published Uh, yeah because he's he's like he's singing pop goes the weasel to himself he's singing three blind mice to himself yeah um he does sing to himself in the next chapter. It's not a nursery rhyme anymore yeah. at okay. that point, though. Oh, man. It's, it's actually what he sings in the next one because Johnny hears him do it, sets Johnny off. Oh, um, yeah. And but it's it's not a nursery rhyme anymore. Oh, man. But yeah, Mike's just screwed up. He is old, old Mike Barnes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you have a lot of, I feel like you have a lot of fun just with the chapter summaries real quick, like chapter five, uh, and some of them are a little more obvious or straightforward. So chapter five is in which Johnny puts his foot down, which is an obvious idiom. He's forces, uh, he tells Robbie and Miguel that they have to go go back and get the car and, and leave. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you have Daniel gets the point, <laughs> which yeah. is a euphemism for, I'm pretty sure for Daniel getting stabbed. Yes, that's the, <laughs> that's the chapter Daniel gets stabbed Oh my in. gosh, I was just, I don't know why I love euphemism stuff like that, and I just thought it was so funny and clever, and um, 
Yeah, so that, let's see, what else do we have? And that was chapter five. Um, Chapter six is maybe more straightforward. Let me see chapter seven here. Let's see. Oh, I liked this one, um, in which the theme is control. Johnny takes it. Daniel gives it. Robbie feels in it. Miguel starts to lose it. And Mike is out of it. I just thought yeah. it was fun. It's just playing. It's just wordplay, which is fun. Um, right and that's the that's the first time that mike actually appears in one of the chapter summaries oh right i had not mentioned him until then yeah um and now i've gotten to the point where i'm writing the fucked up nursery yeah so you can kind of see like where you either sort of had that in the back of your mind but you use it more or you decided to use it more Mm -hmm. um i just like a couple this isn't a nursery rhyme but chapter eight is in which Johnny bends over backwards, which is where Johnny falls off the cliff and fucks up his back real bad. Yep. Uh, Daniel cuts ties, which is yep. where he's cutting off his leg brace. Yep. Uh, Robbie shows his hand, which is a little more straightforward. It's Robbie kind of revealing that um, he can lie and be really good at it. And Miguel sees that. I think that's what I took from it. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. And he even has the thing about showing his hand to Louie. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Where Amanda is his ace in the hole. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And then Miguel is left breathless, which is obviously the asthma attack. Yes. Which is great. Um, hold on. I just have to go through all these real fast. Oh, no, that's fine. Let me see chapter uh, nine real quick. Uh, oh, this is great. So this is when chapters nine and 10 are really a little more heavy on the nursery rhymes maybe as we get the descent of Mike's uh, sanity starts to kind of unravel. Um, this one I have to read a little bit in sing song um, because once you read it, you're just sort of reading it and you're like, Oh, okay. So in which Johnny L goes up the hill to get what Daniel left there. Robbie drives to get Daniel's guys or oh, sorry, Miguel's guys. And Mike's one crazy mother. So it's <laughs> it's the Pop Goes the Weasel theme, which if you yes. read it without it, you kind of, the rhymes match up in the right place and you go, oh, fuck. Okay, that's Pop Goes the Weasel. <laughs> so that's, I think that might be one of the first nursery rhymes or I'm not sure if. That is that is the first okay, nursery rhyme. Yeah. yeah. And then at some point there's like a, yeah, Mike's, more of Mike's games get mentioned like Red Rover, Red Rover, Daniel come over, stuff like that. So you get more of oh. this obvious, like, games thing. And then just right. real quick, yeah, the uh, chapter summary to chapter 10 is a play on one, two, buckle my shoe, which is one, two, what will they do? Three, four, Johnny swims to shore. Five, six, Daniel's so sick. Seven, eight, kids feeling the weight. Nine, ten, Mike's creeping again, which is so great. I just love all those. <laughs> those are just little things I wanted to mention that I loved. Yeah, um, I've, I've actually the the um, the summary for chapter eleven I've known for months. Oh, uh, I don't remember because it. I, well, I, well, I, I don't know if I've seen it. Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't think you have. Um, and it's it you know because they're they're just summaries, right? They don't give away a vast amount. Um, it's well, no, actually, I can't. They kind of teach us. Yeah, I, you can't. I, you don't have to. Yeah, yeah. Don't yeah, reveal I, well, you don't because want to. of because of the the thing about Daniel. Um, mm. The thing, the thing about Daniel in the summary. So I don't yeah, know. yeah. But it starts out with Johnny, Johnny, don't you cry? Oh, okay, cool. Because what was the last thing we saw Johnny doing? Oh, was, Johnny. 
<laughs> they're, they're just all collapsed around each other, just bawling like children uh, in the middle of the mountain. You've so, sufficiently beat them down, Bree. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it's so weird because, you know, Johnny in canon is the one that, that cries yeah. definitely the more easily of the two. Um, and I wouldn't say Daniel has... I, 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 I kind of picked up on that to a certain extent because when Daniel is drunk, when they're heading up, you know, trying to get off the mountain to start with, and Johnny's like, I'm glad you find this funny because yeah. Daniel's laughing. And he's like, well, I, I, it's not funny, but if I don't laugh, I'm going to cry and I'm not going to cry. Yeah. So it's like it, the moment that Daniel actually does cry is like this big thing because he's been yeah. holding it in for so long and he just can't anymore oh daniel <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like their defense mechanisms are different i feel like we do see johnny cry more in the show one because he's more bad things happen to johnny in the show mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but i also think his defense mechanisms are a little more straightforward like he was bullied as a kid, so he found karate and Cobra Kai and Crease, and he became this big, strong alpha male dude who, you know, calls everybody a pussy. <laughs> right. And uh, so he kind of found masculinity in that way. Um, but Daniel's, I feel like, are probably – his defense mechanisms um, are probably more complicated. Like, he's kind of a scrawny um, – you wouldn't call him – necessarily an alpha male he's just like physically he's he's not intimidating at least as a teenager and really into adulthood um he's kind of a smaller guy but he did find karate and karate meant something a little bit different to him probably than it did johnny but they're both important um but what happened to him in karate kid three i mean they haven't explored it i feel like they really i wouldn't say i'm disappointed necessarily in how they approach that in season two but I feel like there's a lot more that can be done with Daniel's the fallout from Karate Kid 3 and being used by Mike and Terry. So I feel like I, Daniel kind of just like I was in, I was Cobra Kai and then he kind of just gives us like little short I was I must say I was a little disappointed. I was like this was supposed to be a big reveal and it's supposed to really mean something and it felt a little glossed over to me, but I feel like that would have Definitely set some defense walls in place about how Daniel deals with trauma and stuff. Well, I mean, they've they I don't think they've shied away from the fact that Daniel's psyche is just as broken as Johnny's is. Um, he just hides it way better. Yeah, there's some some shinier exteriors going on. Right. Um, mentally stable people, mentally healthy people do not have full on traumatic flashbacks in the middle of the road. Right. At a, at a stoplight, which, you know, Daniel did. Um, he has not name dropped, but has um, because he's never said his name, which I think is also very telling. Uh, the one time we've heard Terry Silver's name on the show did not come from Daniel. Oh. It came from um, when um, I don't... Ron was reading the when Ron was reading what they did. Yeah. The only time. And then Sue asking Johnny what his relationship is to Terry Silver. Daniel's never said his name. Yeah. Uh, talks about him. You know, known a lot of people who were real pieces of crap and it accuses Robbie of being Terry. Yeah. Oh. Um, oh, Daniel. He, 
right. He does not like people messing with his head at all. But he's like on this constant watch for people to do it. Yes. Yep. Um, I yeah, I hope and I think that um, that is one of the reasons why the big three took that drastic step to have Daniel react so harshly at the end of I don't know if that was the beginning of episode 10 in season two where he he tells Robbie that um, this was all a mistake and you're just like, if you want to be just like your dad, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's him just, slipping back into thinking it was yeah, all a setup I feel again. like that's the big three, hopefully, are the writers being very careful to start putting in these little uh, hints that what happened to Daniel in Karate Kid 3 really had repercussions because that's a – even the Ralph Macchio was worried about it. He's like, this seems a little extreme and I think the relationship between Daniel and Robbie are important to Ralph as, you know, the character he's playing and it means a lot mm-hmm. to him. So, yeah, I guess I hope that was purposeful and coming from the Karate Kid 3 events. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't guarantee, obviously, yeah. that that's where it's coming from, but it's that, that reaction it is line very, up. very much in character – for Daniel. Yeah. Okay. As a as a as a 16-year-old kid, he slammed the door in Mr. Miyagi's face. Yeah. So because he didn't feel like Mr. Miyagi was on his side, didn't feel like he had, you know, he had his back. He was dealing with all this stuff going on and had no clue what was being done to him, yeah. right? Whereas Mr. Miyagi, if he'd actually been told what was going on, um, probably would have seen right through it and realized yeah. that they were screwing with Daniel's head. Yeah. Daniel and, had no idea. Yeah. Right? I feel like, you know, control is part of that. And also for Daniel, just like, and I, tr- I try and kind of allude to this in my writing, just that Daniel feels like people, actually Johnny too, but especially when Daniel was young, that, that people at that point in his life were kind of leaving him or, you know, not in his corner. So his mom, his mom's back in Jersey Allie left. Kumiko didn't work out. Um, Mr. Miyagi is not excited about this tournament rematch, which seems to mean something to Daniel. And he's like, got nobody in his corner until Terry shows up. And he's like, yeah, man, you know, I'll train you. And he's really nice and charming. And it's like, the you can tell how relieved Daniel was to have somebody there with him who was going to help him. And so mm-hmm. it just like sets him up to fall so far that it was just this big betrayal and manipulation. And so even I think we've talked about this, but how comical and ridiculous that movie was. And you can understand why Ralph hated that script so much, because a lot of it is really stupid and silly. Yes. But there yes. is this like dark, dark core to it when you strip it down. Um, yeah, I don't know that they intentionally wrote right. this story <laughs> about uh, special forces officers brainwashing a child. Right. But um, that's what they wrote. So that's what we're, you know, dealing with here. Yeah. So, um, and and I think it's, it's also very, very telling that the story that Daniel recounts, because, yeah, the day Daniel tells Johnny about the Karate Kid 3 and yeah. what they did to him and why he hates Cobra Kai as much as he did, as, as much as he does. That's the big moment. Right, because Amanda won't get it and Sam won't really get it. The only person that's going to get it is Johnny. Well, and I don't think he's ever told Amanda either. I don't. That's my headcanon too. I guess we'll find it. Because, I mean, even Johnny, she was like, oh, that blonde pretty boy that beat you in that tournament. Like, she... 
we we're not even sure if she really knows about Allie or the love triangle kind of thing or you know what yeah, that year meant to Daniel. That kind of stuff. I, I I mean because he could he could be surface with that. But when she dismissed Crease as just, you know, right. oh, geriatric karate teacher, right. you know, um, she has no idea what those two did to her husband when he was a kid. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. And I, I'm sure part of that's comic relief, just like Amanda pointing out the absurdity of some of the plot and, you know, the, like the stakes of this. But I think you're right that some of it is uh, just that she doesn't understand and doesn't know the the stakes Right. And and like I said, I think it's very telling that the story that Daniel tells the kids is wrong. That's not what happened. Yeah. What was it kind of refreshed my memory about how it was wrong? Um, well, he tells them that he got in this big fight with Mr. Miyagi and it was over the tournament and that because of that, that he went looking for someone else to train him. And it, uh, none of that happened. Yeah. None of that happened. There was no big fight. He didn't go looking for Terry. Terry came to him. Yeah. Um, and he was reluctant to do it to begin with. Now, yeah. from then on, it made me violent. It made me angry. All that. That's true. Yeah. But he blames that on himself and not on them. Yeah. And again, very interesting that he manages to do this and tell the kids this story without ever saying Terry's name. Yeah. So it, 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 there's, there's, the dams and walls holding stuff back that have got to collapse at some point. Right? Yeah. This man is not healthy. I hope at so. All. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, if you think about um, Johnny's journey where he was in season one and um, where he was at kind of, uh, you know, building up the dojo and doing all the right things. He was dating Carmen and things were kind of lining up that way. And Robbie was still like a, thing that hadn't been resolved but he was doing good and then how everything collapses and i feel like johnny's been through a lot and we know now that johnny is a good person he just needs a few things to go right in his life and to make a couple of key decisions to you know make up with robbie and you know figure things out with carmen but in general like he's kind of his head's turned the right way maybe he's just lost a lot but i feel like Mm -hmm. daniel um, hasn't either hasn't lost enough, and maybe one of the reasons why we haven't seen him. I feel like I need Ralph Macchio to cry. <laughs> I feel like uh, William Zabka is given some Emmy worthy performances, and so has Ralph in a way. But I feel like Ralph hasn't gotten the material to really have those really heavy moments like Billy has. You know, I don't know the 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 sound of his voice, and you look at his eyes in the dojo when he's talking about the metal. That's the closest for sure, like right there, and you can yeah. actually hear him holding it back. You don't earn right? the Medal of Honor by stealing it, right? You yeah. can you can hear him. You can hear him holding the tears back. He's he refuses to cry. Yes, so. Johnny, I think a lot of his walls and dams are down. There yeah. is nothing about Johnny that Johnny is not aware of at this point. Yeah, I agree. He, all of his good, bad, indifferent, everything, he's aware of the reality of himself. Yeah. Daniel is still hiding from himself. Yes. And pretending he's fine. So we just need whatever to knock those walls down. And I think when that happens, that's when we will see these two because they're not going to be able to deal with each other until they can deal with themselves. Yeah. And Johnny can 
and Daniel can't yet. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to some good Ralph cries, man. I just think it needs to happen. <laughs> I feel like you're right that that dojo scene was, I think, the like the meatiest, most uh, emotionally heavy kind of – it's like the material that he was able to do the most with. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like Billy's just had a few of those moments like the diner talk with Miguel and um, losing the dojo and dealing with Miguel being in the hospital. Like those are three big kind of scenes for Billy. And I feel like Ralph just hasn't quite – he had the dojo take trashing, but right. I feel like we can do more. I feel like we can make him cry and break him down. Oh, we, he we, needs to we be broken down. Can- yeah, we definitely can. Johnny also has um, something that Daniel does not have, which is someone who cares about him enough and that he trusts enough to tell. Yeah. Daniel has no friends. He has no. And that's how I write him in fan fiction. <laughs> it's like Johnny. And there is like an implication that maybe Johnny hasn't seen Bobby and the boys in a while. But they're like, and I know what it's like to have a best friend that I've had since like first grade as well as my sister. But I know people that don't. It's really hard to. You're really lucky when you have that. And, and Johnny's lucky in that sense. But. Yeah, Daniel just hasn't ever uh, been able to forge a friendship like that. Um, Yeah, and I see him absolutely as lonely. And even though he and Amanda have uh, this seemingly cool, understanding uh, marriage, there is, uh, I think, what we're both getting at is like this lack of uh, deeper intimacy where she probably doesn't know the darker parts of Daniel. She does not know him at all. Because she was so surprised when he does the Zarkarian thing. She's like, who are yes. you? And we're like, oh, I think I remember this, Daniel. Right. And it's like, um, that's Daniel. Yeah. Who the hell did you think you married? Um, we re- who we did remember you marry? this guy. Yeah. Right. It's like, who did you marry? This is the vindictive little shit with the water hose in the bathroom. Absolutely. And she doesn't know about that. <laughs> nope. She has no clue. She knows about and- this charming car salesman with the cute suits and the hair. And, and that's like, that is a part of him, but it's not yes. all of him. And and that's to tie it back into the fan fiction thing, because uh, I write Amanda in there, too. And um, she's got a couple scenes coming up. Yeah. And she she was you know present at the beginning and she's like the kind of voice of reason for both of them. Yeah. Um, I think she loves him. I think he loves her back. I don't doubt their connection and their commitment to each other there. They are my OTP on the show. Yeah. I want them together. I want them to stay together. But I think he honestly is afraid to talk to her. Yeah. Because I think he's been pretending to be someone he's not since he met her. Oh, Daniel. (laughs) I think she honestly doesn't know him. Yeah. Because he's never shown her. Yeah. And that's really sad. It is sad. Yeah. Uh, but that's 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 my Daniel because my Daniel is like everything's fine, everything's wonderful. Uh, he's falling apart, yeah, you know. But he's just he's like faking his way through it, yeah. And I think that I you know a lot of writers will go into uh, the death of Daniel's father, um, and just being a only child and a of a single mom, and she's working all day, and um, there's not much indication of what his. The rest of his family was like, besides his cousin Louis, 
Uh, by the way, I love Louis. Uh, I hope we get more of him in season three. So I like the headcanon that they were maybe close, but really, I mean, the, I think most of us picture Daniel as a pretty solitary, lonely kid. Um, mm-hmm. And there's stuff that maybe the writers didn't even intend, but that I use like Daniel's age, like he's a 16 year old, he's a 15 going on 16 year old senior, yep. which is really young. So you can, again, this is great in fan fiction, you can use that. So I think in a, lo- a lot of us kind of had canon him like skipping a grade or starting you know, uh, I guess starting early, basically just being smaller and younger than a lot of his peers, which would be harder to make friends. I mean, you know, in the in the movies, you know, he has some friends that he made at camp, Kevin and Kenny, but right. he had to make them at camp in the summertime. Like, why couldn't right. he make friends during the school year? And Ju- we don't really know much about Judy. We don't know if she was um, in his class, but like, Boys who have girls as like a best friend is, I feel like, common of boys who are either ostracized because they're gay or ostracized because they're smaller and can't run as fast as the other boys or they're emasculated. Like Judy seems to be maybe his only friend from school. I don't know. But there are a lot of kids running around the car when they're leaving Jersey. So that's all speculation, but it kind of lines up with Lonely Daniel. Right. And and those kids being who those kids were in reality, which was a bunch of kids that lived in that neighborhood that just refused to get off set. Right. So they ended up with, <laughs> right. with parts of the movie. Right. So you've got kids varying in age from like six to like 16. That's hilarious. So, so that was just a set thing. That wasn't intentional. Right. Yeah. They just wouldn't leave. So they're like, okay, be in the movie. That's so um, funny. Right. John so they're Appleton. just like neighborhood kids or, you know, family kids, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, with Daniel's birthday being where it was, he would have started kindergarten when he was four anyway. Um, and it's real easy to see him, um, you know, eight, nine years old, right after his father dies. He's a latchkey kid because mom is working. Oh. He's coming home to an empty apartment every night. What else does he have to do? He just throws himself into his homework. So and it's sad. easy, you know, to see him skipping fourth or fifth grade after that. Uh, just because. Yeah. It, 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 plus, he's also never seen anyone. I mean, he, he has memories of eight years of how crazy his parents were about each other. Yeah. And that's obvious. And it's like he's modeling that with Amanda. Oh, right. Well, it's funny because this might but be he a didn't yeah. Sorry, I'll let you finish. Long enough to get to the depth. Yeah, you know, it, it, he didn't see the 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 what was underneath that. Yeah, he just remembers the idyllic my parents loved each other thing. Yeah, there's kind of a joke and it's superficial, but uh, I put some side by side picture of Amanda and Lucille up, and I was like, he's married his mother, <laughs> like the well, dark hair and the has. blue eyes and kind right. of the sassy personality. I was like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> Right. Plus, he's Italian. They do yeah. that anyway. Oh, right? my gosh. Yeah. I love that uh, the Italian backs, you know, headcanon of Daniel being Italian-American. I, I, I do really want to find out someday exactly what Amanda's background is. Like, what was Amanda's maiden name? I know. Because I, I know Courtney is definitely not Italian. But Amanda is, like, as Italian- a wife getting into it with her mother-in-law yeah. as could possibly exist. So did she pick that up from him after 20 years or is Amanda actually Italian too? Do you get a little uh, Irish I, I feel out of her or are you mostly getting Italian? 
Um, I, from Amanda, Italian. Yeah, yeah. I know. I've um, got a, a fan fighting fiction over the, the mother and the wife. Yeah, fighting over the the child. You know, that's true. There's probably not enough child uh, beating for. No, I'm just kidding for for Irish. No, I have a good friend who's a, a fan friend who's big Irish Italian Catholic family, and they're they're the funniest, warmest, coolest people, but. Um, they're like loud and they drink a lot and there's just say, like, I'm, I was Irish Catholic. Were you? Raised Irish Catholic. Yeah. So yeah, big family, drink a lot. Um, we drink more at funerals than we do at weddings. Yeah. Um, and yes, absolutely. There were multiple ass beatings and holy God, <laughs> if Jesus, Mary and Joseph showed up and you were in trouble, run. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I'm trying to think of any other. I'm glad we talked a lot about Daniel because I feel like you have a lot. You share a lot of the same headcanon I think I do, and you have a lot of insight because you've thought about this character so long. <laughs> it's not like I'm possibly obsessed with Daniel Larusso. Yeah. Or, oh, he's yeah, easy to obsess over, especially now that uh, the coolest thing about Cobra Kai is that you've got this headcanon or this sensibility of them that you built up over. You know, the seeing the Karate Kid movies, and then now you've got this canon with Cobra Kai, and it's exciting to see where the canon goes because it's like fan fiction is cool because you're you're filling in the holes, but I feel like a lot of us do appreciate having some um, some solid mores maybe to um, tie our boats to. That's a weird nautical reference, but like I like sticking to, as close to canon sort of as I can. So like yeah, knowing Amanda's last name or like I've got the I've got like three different or four different stories where Amanda talks about her family coming from like Northern California, Mendocino County. And if that's all bullet, I mean, I'm just going to have to make peace with that after we know more about her because it's going to be wrong. So I have that right. in the back of my head like, fuck, that's going to be I almost don't even want to try to fill in too much because I do like sticking to canon. Uh, I've I've got stuff coming up actually in Walk that um, were perfectly fine being there at the end of season one when I started it. Right. And I like crafted a huge portion of the story around this. And then come season two, it's like, oh, that's not true at all. And it's like, well, shit. Right. I have a choice. I can go rewrite that and lose most of the power of that part of the story to make it canon compliant. I can ditch the whole thing completely or I can leave it the way it is. Yes. And in the end, I decided that what the story needs is for that one fact to stay the way it is in the story. Yeah. And just acknowledge when I get there that, hey, I know this has changed and this is no longer wrong. But I actually wrote this scene a year and a half ago. Yeah. Is that something so, that's in chapters to come or is that a scene that's already published? That's something that's, that's, something that's coming up. Okay. That's in 13. Cool, cool. Yeah. That's in 13. Yeah, um, that's a battle in fan fiction is when it's an ongoing show or book series and like, fuck, now it's only complying up to blah, blah, blah. Right. Are you getting Kripke'd or are you getting Joss? Right. One or the other. <laughs> um, I have had both happen to me at various points in my fandom career. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say that being Kripke'd freaks me out a whole lot worse. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, that actually happened to me twice with Supernatural. So um, I was actually Kripke by freaking Kripke's show. It was like like proven wrong, or proven right by the no writing? Kripke is proven right. Ah, uh, um, I and love just yeah. just is proven wrong. Ah, uh, um, 
I wrote a time travel, um, I wrote a time travel story, uh, of Sam and Dean going back to the old West. Awesome. And I came up with this, like, really awesome concept. Like, what if Sam was the hunter on horseback that Samuel Colt built it for? Oh my right? gosh. And this is the story. Isn't that and crazy? Frontierland hit the air like six months later, and that was the story. And I was like, and you'll never know I if some that. junior writer <laughs> read your fan fiction and pitched it, or if you're just really prescient about where it was going. You'll never oh, know. No, no, no I, I, it, it's just, it, it's, I know show people cannot read fan fiction. Yeah. That's like, when it comes to putting it out there that you are a fan fiction writer, you said on your first episode that you and I are of different opinions on this, and we are. You are more of the stay hidden, stay back, you know, mm-hmm. and I am more, why? Yeah. At this point, why? Yeah. Why can't we take joy in this? Um, you know, it, yeah, the rules being the rules, you don't talk to show people. These are the rules, okay? These are the fandom rules. Tell me how any of these still apply. You don't talk to show people. You do not show show people your fan art. You do not show them your videos. You do not ask them for feedback. You don't ask them to talk to them unless you're at a convention and you're paying them to do it. None of this applies. Especially in to this fandom specifically. This fandom anymore. Right. Because these guys came looking for us. Yeah, that's true. We started out staying hidden, staying back on Twitter and on Tumblr. Stay, you know, here's our fourth wall. Don't you cross it. Yeah, I think Supernatural was probably, I mean, I wasn't in that fandom exactly, but it seems like some of those episodes that specifically mentioned fan fiction and fans, they kind of catered to their fans and their kind of fangirling in a way and kind of welcome that although it was too big a fandom to have the kind of dialogue i feel like that especially cobra kai companion and some other content creators uh have with with the showrunners uh which is so unique and cool in this fandom yeah it's really special blessedly blessedly fortunate but also, you know, I was I was thinking about this last night, getting ready for this interview. What are the big three, except fan fiction writers who get paid to Absolutely. do what they do? Absolutely, yes, yes, they are. Yeah. So why am I afraid to put a link to my story on Twitter? Yeah. When those three had the guts. To go to Sony and say, we want to do this yeah. with your show. I mean, yeah, keep going. Sorry. And it's a battle that I've fought going back to LiveJournal. Um, got into it with a writer named Lee Goldberg. And many, many fan fiction writers got into it awesome. with Lee Goldberg that day. Okay. He called me a soulless, no talent, wannabe hack. <gasps> Son of a bitch. And, and, and yeah, and, and you, the reason he said that, and, and I, I, Max Allen Collins, who is a media tie-in writer, um, and actually wrote the tie-in novels that wrapped up Dark Angel, and I was not super satisfied with the way he resolved the story. Mm-hmm. And I, I, 
was like harping on the fact that he kept talking about eyes only's blue eyes. Okay. For, he's talking about Michael Weatherly. Okay. Michael Weatherly does not have blue eyes. Michael Weatherly has green eyes. Very, very, very green eyes. Yeah. And the character's name is eyes only. So, like, his eyes are a very important part of his character. Right. And Max Allen Collins wrote him with blue eyes. And I'm like, why would you do that? And then he showed up. He, like, name searched himself and he showed up on my live journal. <sighs> and just, like, wow. ripping it into me over over this, you know, me not liking these stories. Somebody doesn't have much to do, apparently. Right. Like- and then I'm like... The only and I, I, I said the same thing to him that I said to Lee Goldberg. The only difference between you and me is I do this for love and you do it for money. Absolutely. But the only reason that that like chasm exists, this God honest truth, and it might turn a lot of people off, is because I am a woman and I am afraid of being a fan. They are men. They are encouraged to be fans. Yeah. They can go after the media tie-in contracts. I can sit over here with three degrees in writing, terrified that I'm not good enough. Yeah. That's it. E.L. James could have broken so many barriers for us Mm -hmm. by just standing up and proudly saying, yes, this is where I came from. Yeah. And she won't do it. She hides from it. She pretends she never was. Freaking Cassie Clare, say what you will. I was on Fandom Wake and Fanfic Rights, uh, the Fanfic Rants during that whole thing with Cassie. So, and what I'm sorry, and what was we, that with Cassie Clare? Just quickly. Oh God, she plagiarized like half of the Harry Potter fandom. Oh, and she's a fanfiction <laughs> writer, or she's a professional? She was. Yeah, she's a professional now. She writes the Mortal Instruments. Okay. The um, the uh. Clockwork Angel and all that stuff, aren't they? Isn't that the... I don't know, but um, that's... Yeah, I'm sure I've never close. read any of her stuff, but it's like Clockwork Angel and City of Ember or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but she she was a fan fiction writer and she got big writing Harry Potter fan fiction. And then she scrubbed the names and she published it. Yep. And then, you know, we, we all kind of disowned her anyway because she was plagiarizing to oh. you know, other fans yeah. to do this. Um, but E.L. James, if she just could have stood up and said, this is where I came from. I mean, I, I have multiple friends, good friends, who are both fan fiction writers and professional writers. But I can only think of one who has ever published professionally under her fan fiction name. Yeah. And that's Julie Fortune. And she wrote, Stargate fan fiction, and she published one of the Stargate novels. Um, wow, that's awesome. But it's like the the women have always comprised the majority of fandom. Yeah. We are the writers. We are the vitters. We are the artists. We always have been. We are the ones that were doing the zines in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah. Right? But the dudes are the ones getting movies called Fanboy made about them. Yeah. And we're taught to be ashamed of what we are. Yeah. Do you think it has anything to do with um, a preoccupation? Well, I don't know how I want to put this, but a lot of us write romance and homoerotic romance in particular, at least, you know, in this fandom and in many fandoms. So there's just something about, and I haven't put my finger on it, but 
There's like a desire for human connection, which is the same in like a bromance or a friendship with Johnny and Daniel. But a lot of us want them to be together. And do you think it's, I mean, to me, that was my reasoning behind maybe some people wanting to remain anonymous is that that publicly would be kind of ridiculed or, you know, if you're employed and your employer feels that that's like porn or maybe you write explicit fic, like, I don't know this. And I wish I would have looked up what it's called, but we, we've had discussions about this on the discord and we have a guy on the discord and he talks about transformative fandom versus, uh, there's another word, but it's basically like people more interested in transformative which is like fan fiction exploring what might be with these characters versus like guys tend to get obsessed over like all of the fat you know it's like trading cards kind of like all the stats and facts of the characters and i can't remember what he called that type of fandom but it's a little more palatable for some people and it has nothing to do with like emotions or romance or anything or you know human connection or anything like that. So I don't know. That's not clear what I'm actually asking. I guess, but no, I no, I I I get where you're coming from. But I'm if that is true, then that would explain at least to a certain extent why my feelings about this are as strong as they are. Yeah, because I am an amalgamation of both of those things. Yeah. Um, and I take my canon very, very seriously and I know my crap. You do. You do. It's like, don't come at me saying that such and such is true when it's not. And it's very pedantic and it's very annoying. Um, I annoy the, I know myself when I do it sometimes, but at the same time, I want to go deeper with the characters. I want to tell stories we've never heard. Yeah. I want to... Um, I mean, on, on top of, on top of walk, I literally have four other partially written stories sitting on my hard drive that no one other than Carrie has ever read any parts of. Yeah. Um, including the one that, you know, my, my version of the fire challenge, which you have said is the one that actually got you started. Yes, it is. Uh, (laughs) which was fantastic because I was like, oh my God, car wreck. Yay. Yay. Um, <laughs> but I just think that I mean I understand because coming at it from the social anxiety standpoint, and I understand the rules having been what they were for so long, and going to conventions and seeing people push completely inappropriate fan art in front of the actors. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Um, and giving Jensen Ackles a copy of a massive Dean Cass romance novel. Oh, no, don't do that. Don't do that. But why should I be ashamed to put it out there on the internet when, once again, these people are not supposed to be paying attention to me? Yeah. Uh, the the showrunners, the writers, the actors, the cast, the crew. They're not even supposed to know I exist. Yeah. So why am I afraid? Why should I be af- afraid of putting who I am in front of them just because they're, they happen to be looking? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, 
Yeah, th- those are all such good questions, and I think we're slowly figuring them out. Like, um, just with this podcast, kind of having Peter was nice enough to sort of share that I was starting this with his mm-hmm. audience, and so people who yes. don't know about fan fiction were kind of like, "Oh, I'll check that out." And um, you know, one of the actors from the show was like, "Oh, that's cool," and um, you know, some of the fan fiction writers were kind of nervous because. This actor had maybe asked uh, for a link, I think, to a fic that I had yep. mentioned. And it's like yep. they were kind of nervous. And, you know, I'm not sure that he, sort of he knew what he was getting in. I mean, it's not even anything. I, I actually put the link in the show notes so people wouldn't even have to – like it wouldn't be an right. issue. But it, it was almost this moment where I was like, oh, like, did I do something wrong or expose this author to like attention that they didn't want? But I think people outside of fan fiction are genuinely curious and really cool people like that uh, actor and like Peter who aren't really into fan fiction, but they're supportive of fan fiction writers. That's getting more and more common. And actually, I think the Cobra Kai Companion Facebook group is just a really it's a group of good, polite, um, receptive people who aren't going to make i i don't know i just feel like i don't like to use the word safe space a lot but it seems like a really receptive space for people being supportive of fan fiction writers it's like we don't need to share our stories necessarily as in put it in front of them and say read my johnny daniel explicit um sixty thousand word romantic epic like i don't feel the need to do that but i do feel like I can be safe saying like I'm a fan fiction writer and it's it's fun to actually watch the slow progression of us kind of teasing like the like the hashtag law russo l a w r u s s o and kind of I like I will never not be entertained by how many people use that word without knowing what I it know means. I know and I'm it was saying. and it's funny cuz um when Peter decided to put that on a t-shirt um I went over to Discord and people were kind of like because La- laughing because it was obviously it's been used before in a way that people didn't know what it was and they were like oh my gosh mm-hmm. fanboys are gonna be wearing this shirt and i don't think the cobra kai companion people knew what it was and i was like oh no i've asked brie and amy and they and peter and uh, peter knows what it means and oh, of course Peter's- because he hangs out with me and amy how yeah could he not? and so i just um w- that's another obviously supporting evidence of why peter's fucking awesome and badass because he just he was like, well, there's a segment of the fandom that thinks this is fun and cool, and I'm going to put it on our t-shirt store because there's an audience for that, and I'm not going to worry about what people say or whatever. Like, if they dig it, they dig it, and if they don't, they don't, and that's cool, and that's the right attitude to have, I feel like, and I just um, – I can't remember where I was going with this except that Cobra Kai Companion as a group is a really uh, lovely space for uh, people kind of feeling out these things that they didn't know about before. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. Well, no, I, 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 no, I, 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 I absolutely, I followed you. I yeah. knew where you were going. Um, cause I'm sitting here, I, I'm coming at this and I'm, I'm saying, you know, don't be afraid to be who you are. Don't be afraid to put it out there. Things like this, but it's also, I'm coming at it. Um, very aware that I am hypocritical about this because, I know who's watching me. Yeah. Um, and I know that they're not supposed to see what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. Um, According to old conventional rules. 
Well, and and legally, there's oh, also right. this legally those three cannot read what I write. So mm. why am I scared about putting it in front of them when I know they legally can't read it? Cuz you know they might anyway. <laughs> What's the worst that's going to happen? I know. What the absolute worst that could possibly happen is that one of my idols says to me, "Hey, your writing sucks." Yeah, that would be devastating. <laughs> I already but, think that. So uh, it's not that big of a deal, right? Yeah, untrue, but, but yeah. If that if that actor that you were just talking about, mm-hmm. because I, I talked to the, the, the person that that actor, you know, approached and they were like, well, the Discord's telling me this and what do you think? I said, I think you should do whatever makes you comfortable. Yeah. If you want to send it to him, if you're fine with it, go for it. If he asked me for mine, I'd send it. Yeah, he's a I, – I feel like – yeah, I'm not going to name names, but it, some yeah, of us know who it is, who but he he's is. a fucking badass and he's a sweetheart yes. and totally – There's no one that's going to get it more yeah, than him. Yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it, I would not be – I'm not afraid to be who I am, yeah. but I also remember that for – 20 odd years i put up posters nobody cared about i put up wallpapers that nobody downloaded i put up music videos that nobody watched i wrote stories that no one read yeah you know just because people are paying attention to one of the things i do now which is oddly not the thing that i really wanted to be known for or that i consider myself yeah i have three degrees in writing i'm not an artist yeah (laughs) I never wanted to be. Um, but this one thing that I really want to be, that I've always wanted to be, is the one thing that I'm terrified for whatever reason. I don't put my writing on Twitter and I don't put it on Facebook. And there's absolutely no good reason that I can give myself. Yeah, that. I mean, it's just a fear of, uh, for me, I think it's just like, being ridiculed or people misunderstanding what you're really writing about. Like, it's a good question to ask. I think all of us, like, especially I'm going to speak specifically toward people who are a fan of wanting to see Johnny and Daniel in a romantic relationship. Like, that's easy to kind of like, what? What the fuck is that? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, they're two heterosexual guys. Um, And that happens a lot in fandom. You get these pairings that are in canon, they're straight, but we like to pair them up in fan fiction and i think it i don't know i I feel like there's a lot of digging to figure out why it's such a compelling idea for them to be in a romantic relationship for some of us um and i think there's something deeper going on it's not just like ah they're like both hot and i want to see them make out like it's not just the i mean that's partly true um but it's not just (laughs) right it's not like not denying that right they're both hot for like these 50 year old guys oh my god um but it's not that's not the main thing i don't think for me it's like there's something emotionally compelling about uh seeing two people that didn't think they could connect on any level connect on the ultimate level of like an intimate romance. And so I don't I don't know why all of my OTPs seem to be men, like in gay relationships. I haven't figured it out yet. And that's I think that's part of why I want to do the podcast is to talk to people about it. But anyway, um yeah, there's something about that 
being misunderstood that is a little scary, like thinking that, you know, mainstream fans are just going to be like, ah, you fucking pervs. What are you doing over there? (laughs) For me, um, I am not a fan of romance novels. Right. I never have been my whole life. Um, I'm not a big fan of sex in movies. I'm not a big fan of sex in fiction. It's just um, if I want to read a romance, I don't necessarily want to read the nuts and bolts of (laughs) the action itself you know leave that to the imagination i'm a i'm a faceful you like uh, some smoke in the room person yes yeah give me the emotions yes give me it it's it's like um like the most risque fic i ever wrote right yeah was a dean cass where uh, Dean reaches up and grabs a hold of Castiel's tie and pulls him down on an altar and kisses him. Uh, That's like the smokiest uh, thing I've ever uh, written uh, in my life, right? Yeah. Because then it's a fade to black. And hey, guess what Dean and Cass are doing on the altar? Yeah. But <laughs> um, it, it's I want the emotion. I want the depth. I want yeah. the power. I want the connection. All the rest of it, the the, the nuts and bolts and the mechanical stuff, psh, and leave that out. I don't care. Yeah, and there's a place um, for that. Some people like that, and I like to read it sometimes. I I have attempted to write it, and it just <laughs> there's Libertine Fast had this hilarious gif of like um, she's uh, oh gosh, I wish I could recreate it, but it was like uh, me trying to write porn or something, and then like there's a SpongeBob cut screen of like 15 minutes later and then it's the gif of um daniel and karate kid 3 running into crease and when crease jumps out from behind the cardboard cutout and freaks out and but right. then the caption is like the word cock like immediately you start <laughs> trying to write porn right and you're like oh god i can't do it <laughs> i i can't either and and i had the same problem and it doesn't matter um it's it doesn't matter the the pairing um male 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 female right. female female it, it it you know gender notwithstanding yeah i can't do it the mechanics I can't write are it. some I people can do it. it but I, and i can actually read it um but i understand why you can't read it because uh yeah some sometimes it's just there's i don't know i don't know what it is but i can't write it because i just get uncomfortable and i have to like yeah, if I put the smoke in, machine on and like <laughs> impy soulmates. Yeah, because that is all taking place in Daniel's head yeah. and in his soul. Yeah, like that's some hot stuff that, right there. Oh my god, that sucked me in. Shout out Just to Empy. Like, the, the, the tears rolling down my face yeah. because it's like, oh my god, they finally found it. Yeah, and here is this this warmth, and here is their heaven. Yeah, and they can't keep it. Yeah, Ugh. um, but it's it's like it's if I'm into a story that deeply and into the emotion and just the the power of that connection, you throw in, you know. Okay, rip some buttons, have them fly across the room. I'm fine. But once you get into uh, tab A goes in slot B, I get, it yeah. just completely kills the whole thing. Okay. It's like the, the vibe is gone. Yeah. You know, it, it's get me back to that emotion. And that's why soulmates, um, I, I very easily, that's why that to me is like this super powerful place in yeah. life because that was all taking place 
inside, literally inside Daniel. Yeah. In his, in his mind, in his soul, in his heart. Um, yeah. So. I think that one was pretty intense for her to write to. I think it's one of her, I think she's, that's one of her ones she's proudest of, which she should oh, be. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, it absolutely should be because it's amazing. Yeah. Envy's great. Um, we love her. And then, you know, like Carrie Switch, she writes the, um, like, super, super freaking mm, mm. hot lead up. Yeah. Right? And then fucking cuts you off at the knees, that motherfucker. Yep. yep. <laughs> I live that. boat for one. That. The one on the boat is what I'm specifically. Yes. God damn yes. it. Open Seas, I think, is the name of it. Yeah. Oh, open Course. Open Course. Open course. Open course, and it's uh, they're both out shirtless Mm. on the deck of Daniel's boat, drunk, and they decide to spar. Yep, a classic setup, (laughs) except on a boat, (laughs) right? And it's just like, okay, that is the hottest freaking thing I've ever read. That's awesome, and like the most that happens is what Johnny licks Daniel's (laughs) cheek. Yeah. I can't even I mean, say God. it. It's so good, though. Um, and then, yeah, it's just like fade to black. And you're like, you goddamn bitch. And to me, that's what I love. It's like, let your mind take the rest of it anywhere you want to go. Yeah, yeah. But 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 you could ride it, too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know exactly what, what you mean by that. Yeah, Switch is awesome. She needs to write more, but she's also an amazing vid uh, vidder. Uh, everything she does is amazing. Yeah. Everything. And I am totally not biased in this life. <laughs> Besties. Yes. Yeah, she's awesome. Oh, man. She's my alpha. She's my, my final beta. Um, every word, Every word of every story I've ever written has gone past her eyes. Um, she has seen walk all the way up to the very last word I have written, which is actually the very last word of the story. Um, I, she is just my everything. Yeah. Isn't that special having, cause I have, I have that in my, in my sister and, um, that's kind of rare. So I feel like the, the discord is helpful for that who don't have a go-to person to send your words, but it's so lucky when you have somebody like that, that you can say, hey, can you read this? And they will every time. Right. And I, I don't. I, I, I'm just going to, you know, huff and puff at my microphone yeah. for a while here. But when the Discord started um, and Impy was like, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And it all sounded wonderful. But. I have no place in my life for learning another communication technology. I still haven't figured out Instagram. Yeah. Um, and I was very happy and very comfortable with the community we had built on Tumblr. Yeah. And I'm not one that has ever, and I don't know if the two had anything to do with each other, but I know that a lot of the a lot of the community that we had on Tumblr prior to season two, which was a daily thing for me. I was there constantly all day long, um, kind of came to a screeching halt right around the time of season two. And I don't know if it was dissatisfaction with the season. I don't know if it was because Mary Mauser showed up and started. Oh yeah. I remember that. That was so cute. (laughs) Uh, And uh, people, but some Um, people weren't comfortable for sure. But, I was like, oh, yeah, this is it's, 
it, it, and you know it's like it it to a certain extent and you know i know certain people in the quiver are very stay behind that wall stay behind mm-hmm. that wall just and and i was i was that person until john herwitz gave me no choice but not to yeah. be um because it's like well if i want to do anything in this fandom i have to do it in front of his face because he's not going away yeah so i can hide forever yeah or I can be me. And I see no reason to not be me. Yeah. So if the Discord was, you know, and I, I, I've i gone there a few times, but I don't understand it. I don't get it. I was much more comfortable just with the flow of communication and everything on Tumblr, which took me forever because I hated Tumblr. It's a little confusing <laughs> like, at first. This is my first year ever first, reading t- yeah. doing Tumblr. At first, it's like, how the hell do you follow a conversation on here? Give me live yeah. journal. Give me my threaded comments, you know. Um, and I finally got Tumblr figured out. And it's like, okay, now we're going to go do this. And I was like, but that's like where the video game YouTubers yeah. hang out. What are we going to do there? Yeah. Um, and I'm, I miss, and I miss it very badly, the sisterhood of the quiver and the community that we had. But I'm also very aware that it's most likely still there. Yeah. It's just, and, and I said something about this in a Tumblr post last year, um, coming back after season two and feeling like with everything that happened with, the posters with the podcast with you know the interviews and and all of this the, the trip to this the set and all of this stuff i i keep trying to come back to my friends yeah and it feels different yeah um and i'm going to try very very hard not to cry oh <laughs> um, yeah i mean i think not to interrupt you, but I'll give you a, a minute to pull, pull yourself together. But um, right. yeah, I mean, I came in right, um, right. Let me try to think here. I came in right before season two, I think, premiered because I remember coming in and I was like, oh, this is great. I watched the show and I have to wait a month <laughs> for the next season. Right. So I was really lucky. And I had, um, I can't remember how, but somebody on AO3 had left a comment about this. Disc- I think it was Miss Violet or. Um. Uh. Oh my gosh, the lady disdain, as she is also known, mm-hmm. uh, who reached out to me to tell me about the Discord. I think. Um. And so that was my. I was really pulled into it. I suppose probably after the Discord was kind of established. So I guess from my perspective, as someone who wasn't on Tumblr, uh, during the first kind of quiver sisterhood, uh, as you want to call it, um. I wasn't there for that. So I really found uh, a home on the Discord. And so I, I guess from what you're describing, I would say it is it is still there. And the Discord is like sort of a chat room where I'm pretty much every day I hop in at least once a day and just check on people. And there's just different places for conversation. So it is. I think it's still there uh, for sure. But I don't know if the same people that would feel as familiar like i don't see switch on there a lot um and there's probably some other people that you had 
close relationships to on Tumblr that may not be there. I don't know. Um, but I would say it's still, it's still, I enjoy it and I, I think it's nice, but I think it's going to be a challenge just as you've experienced between seasons to keep that going as the fandom grows and as we get new people and new writers, um, cause we have people on there that are writers and non-writers who just like to be a part of the, who are just readers mostly. Uh, if you're not a right. reader or a writer, it doesn't make much sense that you'd be on the Discord chat because it all centers around fan fiction. Um, but anyway, I would just say that um, it's. St- I think it's still there, and uh, you know, if you you would be warmly welcomed uh, to come in and chat anytime. I to me, I think the impression is that you've just been really fucking busy, dude. Like. You're doing the podcast, I, you got your family go on, you got you can barely find time to write with how busy and your jobs. I know that you have a demanding job. Um but anyway, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's still there. It's just different probably, but I wasn't there for when you first got into it and had such a good time in season 1. I I do know that uh things i mean like when on on your first episode when you were talking about me coming on and you were like i'm this side of the fandom and then there's this other side of the fandom Mm. and about me being like a bridge between the two and um a year and a half ago i just said yeah absolutely i'm perfectly willing because i wanted to do that i wanted to bring the tumblr people to facebook i wanted to find people on Facebook and bring them back to Tumblr. I wanted to bridge everyone together across Twitter. I wanted this big, huge, unified fandom. Yeah. Um, because I think that it's something that can be done, but it's something that usually doesn't happen. Yeah. Like, Supernatural, okay, has devolved into so much infighting. Oh, yeah. And it's like... Uh, please god don't ever let us get to the 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 point where we're arguing with each other because i'm a daniel girl and you're a johnny Uh, girl please god never let us get to that point um you know it it i i wanted this big unified fandom spoiler alert it's not possible (laughs) there are some there are just some aspects of fandom that some people are never going to understand yeah Um, so they will fight back against it. And the people who do understand it are going to fight to defend it. Um, and the, the post that I made on Tumblr, not long after season, I probably right around this time of year last year, um, was explaining my absence because every time I go back, it's like, God, I miss you guys. I mean, you go back and you look at my Tumblr before season two and it's like 30, 40, 50 posts a day. Most of them (laughs) Ralph's face, but, um, it's like sharing each other's stories, sharing each other's fan art, sharing each other, talking theories and, and just the, the constant camaraderie and stuff like that. And that stopped. Like I woke up one morning and went to Tumblr and it just wasn't there anymore because it had gone to the discord Mm -hmm. and with everything else ramping up the way it was, I just, I I wasn't having as much time. Something had to give what gave was Tumblr and I would try to go back and I still try to go back because I miss it. I miss my friends. Yeah. And there's still some people. They don't, I I say it, 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 
it still to this day feels like I don't belong there anymore. Aww. Like that's not, that's where I came from. But that's not my world anymore. Yeah. Well, it's different people and that changes the world. Like I would say like some of the most active people now, like, um, you know, Crocodoom, um, who has done some, um, I don't know if they want their AO3 name connected with that, but there's a tumbler called Crocodoom, C-R-O-C-O-D-O-O-M. And mm-hmm. she does these incredible GIF sets. Um, she's done some Ralph and Billy stuff as well as some Daniel and Johnny stuff. And she's a LaRusso fan. Um, she's doing some amazing content. Libertine Pass fucking cracks my shit up all the time. She's always doing these hilarious posts. But it is less, I'm sure it's less frequent because those type of posts don't come every day. But they're, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, you know it's probably good a be- couple times a week, but yeah. Yeah, it used to be like a constant everyday thing. Yeah. And it was, it, it's, let's see who all I can remember. It was Imbi. Uh, um, yeah. And Violet and Kairos and um, Bitka uh-huh. and Cutesy, uh-huh. me, Switch, um, and Elenatria. Yep. Um, yeah, Elenatria is a little bit out of it, but most of those people are still Ace around. Degenerate, yep. Pinky. Um, uh, Pinky would be a Cobra Kai series fan. Yeah, I don't um, think they're around much. No, hardly, hardly any at all. I don't think anymore. Um, it, it just and, and we all read each other's stuff, yeah. and we all talked about each other's stuff, and then it was just gone. Yeah, and it's really weird because I'm a fan. Yeah, right. Well, I would say I got into fandom to make friends yes. with other fans. Um, and that's, that's what I want. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess I would say that I feel, uh, that I've had a really rich fan fiction community experience and like, I have, especially in the La Russo, we have a little group of us, especially lately, uh, Narcissa Black is, uh, Cloven Hooves is an author who recently came in this, in the past couple of months and Poet Dameron, um, and then Lost uh, Magician. Yes. <laughs> yeah, obviously, Akira. Uh, and um and lost magician and mm-hmm. um and uh libertine past that kind of little group uh we have a little like la russa room in the discord and we just share pictures and plot bunny ideas all the time so i would just say that um i wouldn't despair too much and if you miss that um we can definitely show you where the action's at it is sad that it's in a different form than you had before um, that you clearly enjoyed, um, but it might be worth—I don't know—popping back in, and I can—I can show you where to go, Brie. <laughs> I think it'll be a good time, but because I feel like I have a really rich group, but like there's like—I don't know—six or seven of us who really enjoy. Like I said, it is kind of La Russo specific, like it's that romantic pairing specifically, but. Um, there's other. It's actually amazing how many, and I would say uh, that I would call the quiver, are not necessarily into LaRusso. They might read it, but they're like, you know, either uh, they have OCs that they're really invested in or, um, you know, Invisible Observer over there is just fucking writing writing Jimmy. Like no one else is Mm -hmm. writing. I write Jimmy as a side character and a lot of us do, but she's invested in that. So there's some action going on for sure in the Discord all the time. So anyway, I just wanted to encourage you, if you felt like that is something that has been lost in your life, I feel like it's still there. 
It's still yeah. there. I don't know. Not to belittle your feelings of that, that something was there that was lost because clearly it was. Yeah. yeah. It, it, and I don't know that it was necessarily lost or just that it changed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm going to be the first to admit I'm not a big fan of change. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 I came in when it had already sort of moved over to Discord. So I, um, I was, I guess, lucky in that sense. I don't know. But yeah, change is hard. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And I, I go back on my Tumblr every now and then and stalk all the stuff that I used to put up. And yeah. Reblog some of it, you know. Yeah. There's so many good posts that I feel like get reblogged a lot that, uh, yeah, you put up or lots of those other users you mentioned. Yeah. The Daily Random Ralph. Yeah. Because Tumblr was actually where I went to be more, um, okay, anyone who's listening, please close your ears. <laughs> um, objectify the fuck out of people that I fangirl. Yeah, that's where we go. That happens on Tumblr. Shirtless that's- Billy. There's no shirtless Ralph out there. Well, there's one from Ugly Betty. <laughs> but there's basically right. <laughs> no shirtless Ralph. Um, but right. Yeah, so we have to imagine. But there's some there's some uh, some cute hot pictures of Ralph Macchio for sure. Oh yeah, uh, Tumblr was where the where was where all that took place, mm-hmm. and you know, and then Facebook has its own its own thing, and and Twitter has something else, yeah. and it, yeah. it's just all kind of lost its point at this. You know, it's, it's just, everything has meshed together. Yeah, it's a bit sort of fractured, maybe. Yeah. Like everything's in a different spot or something. Yeah. yeah. But it's still I, – I still feel lucky that um, – especially with Cobra Kai Companion kind of, I don't know, fostering an environment of uh, cool fans, cool show creators, you know, cool content. Yeah. I mean the, the, the fourth wall is pretty well gone. Yeah. Um, so if you're trying to hide behind it, um, yeah. dig deeper because they're watching. <laughs> There we go. How's that? That'll just scare the crap out of everybody. Ron Thomas is going to read your Johnny Bobby fic. Get over. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but he probably might. Not. Probably not. Um, probably not. <clears throat> like I said, my biggest fear would be those three reading it and telling me it sucks. Yeah. And, and they, that will never happen. <laughs> I mean, they will make me read it, but they will never tell you that it sucks. Because it doesn't, for yeah. one. And because they wouldn't, they're not that kind of people. Number two, even if for some reason they had that impression, right. yeah, it's good stuff. But I, uh, I think you're doing great, and I love this story. And I'm really, I know that you're busy, but I'm looking for, and it's it's encouraging that you've already mostly written chapter eleven, and um, yeah, I'm excited to. Well, and you've seen twelve and thirteen. I, I mean, they are all but done. I know. Right? I can't say anything on this podcast, but yes, it's just that one scene of eleven standing between me and having three chapters. Yeah, done, and yeah. If you need help, send send it on over. I'll take a look. You want to write, Mike? I'll send it to you. You can write. I Mike. can try. You've done such a good job, though. <laughs> you have. He's he's so much fun to read in this story. Uh, well, thank yes. you. Yes. Well, it's been almost three hours. I should probably let you go. Yes. Um, but I hope, I think we covered a lot of the story. We talked about a lot of other things. We but, did. Um, I feel like we dug into some good points. And I don't know, is there anything about the story that you feel like we missed or need to mention or, you know, 
Anything like that? Oh, about about the story mm-hmm. in general? Um, no, not really. Um, just I need to get those boys off that mountain. Yeah, they're still stuck and up they, there. <laughs> they've been stuck on this mountain for two and a half years. Yeah. I apologize. Um, they're tough. And they're tough boys. <laughs> Right, and the, the the funny thing is, you know, the two and a half years that have passed in reality is like four hours. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? Um, <laughs> you can spend just hundreds of hours of your life invested, and uh, the the actual story can cover like yeah, two three hours. Yeah, I think by the time all is said and done, excluding the the epilogue, yeah, which is going to you know the tag is going to be the next day. Um, the, the start to finish, the whole story covers from like 5 a.m. till 8 o'clock at night. Yeah, I love stuff so like, like that. Yep. 15 hours, you know, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, I hope that I uh, wish you good writing and, um, thank, oh, thank yeah, you. thank you again for coming on and just talking. This was great. I was hoping that you would be my first interview just because you're used to being interviewed and this will give, not that every interview will last three hours, but it could. I've enjoyed my well, time. It- Right. Depends on how often you interview me. Yeah. It it might be the three hours thing. Like Peter started running into that too. It might be me. Yeah. It might just be me. Uh, well, I'm a talker too. And I love talking about fan. It's like this thing I'm obsessed with that I barely, I get to talk about with my sister and no one else. So that's half the reason I started right. this podcast is just to talk to people. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? There's everything in the world to be said for that because, you know, if you can get invisible observer on here if oh my god if you can get libby on libby, here fucking oh. libby you're coming on you've got to talk to me and drink some vodka she's one of the funniest yes. people i mean i've never talked to her in person but i already know she's one of my funniest favorite people ever yes. yeah yeah libby would be the same way three and a half hours of her just cracking oh her shit my up because she's so funny so funny um, yeah. and MP is, you know, kind of more old school like yeah. me. She could give you, you know, more insight on the the fourth wall and the the staying behind that and you know, the trepidatiousness and yeah. stuff of facing. I I'll get MP on. I've been care. lucky enough to meet MP in person a couple of times and um she's she's awesome. So I'll get her on too. But I yeah. don't I don't have a, a a next interview lined up. So if anyone, you know, message me if you're raring to go. Otherwise, I'll be harassing. There we go. I'll be shaking some trees, harassing somebody there. for the next uh, interview. Oh, yeah. Hey, it works. Yes. Yeah. And including I'm sure we'll get switch on here sometime if you can get if you can make Carrie. Oh, I can absolutely okay, get Carrie cool. on here for you. Not and I don't know. Amy is not a fan fiction writer, but I would almost just like to have Amy on just as a reader to like, and she seems sassy and hilarious. So I feel like. She is. She is. Yeah. One of my favorite person in the universe. Peter and I have been trying to get her on that podcast uh, she, for a year and a half. If you haven't gotten her on, I probably won't be able to then. <laughs> We're trying. We're trying yeah. desperately. Amy. We will break the ice with that I need someday. that sass in my life. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Everybody does. Everybody does. All right, Bree. Well, thank you so much. Um, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. And um, uh, yeah, I think you know where to find Bree. I don't, you know, she's on Facebook, Instagram, AO3. You know, Brianna25. Yes. You can find her. So. Oh, yeah. On the pit. On, I mean, I'm everywhere. Yep. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much, Bree. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. Awesome.